0: all right all right uh Phone's ringing dude because because we're doing <laughs> we're doing an episode on on the bell system this time around indeed we I are right i should have written an intro down because i thought oh, we don't you know, have an intro I we're just rolling write it down <laughs> i didn't write it down and I, then now i've now i've forgotten what i had come up with so it's fine oh, well. it's we're doing it's an fine. episode uh, on the bell system i am joined by returning champion liz hello um, i'm so out of my container back. uh <laughs> thank you, we thank you. Uh, uh will not be talking about rail subjects this episode no or no real we? content whatsoever we promise or will
1: we maybe a little just a, bit. It's a
0: surprise stay tuned for later um but this is most mostly about
2: The Bell System, people using technology to help keep down costs and improve service, keeping your phone system the best in the world.
0: Truly, truly a great commercial. The visuals, too, are great. But, uh, yeah, the
1: the nice yeah. thing about um, the ATT archives is that most of them are on YouTube, and they're all pleasingly period There's correct. A lot
0: of videos. Yeah, I so watched many. a lot of videos for this episode. You bought uh, books should, for this episode. I bought <laughs> books for this episode. I bought a book called "Disconnecting Parties," which I thought would be an interesting history of the Bell System breakup. It turned out to mostly be like a management consulting type book, so I don't oh, recommend really? reading it. Oh, yeah, there was only like two chapters of that were relevant uh which was good because it mean i didn't have to read the whole book (laughs) well true true it's a book about how you break up a large enterprise which i guess matters to some people but it would have been great for your good readers this year
1: but Mm, yeah yeah I i feel like the knowledge is probably all out of date at this point a lot in there about who gets which typewriters yeah
0: i should add a link to the video that i watched which is uh, uh an old film from new jersey television it's about an hour long about Ooh. uh the day after the breakup and it's pretty good although there is a whole section of um a shareholders meeting with a bunch of at&t shareholders who are like deeply concerned and i'm like yeah i don't i don't care <laughs> oh boohoo my stocks <laughs> my blue chip stock is breaking up into several blue chip stocks whatever shall i do <laughs> It's, like, oh it's my okay. God. Just the wait thirty years. We'll be back together. Yeah, yeah. You'll be fine. A... So, uh-huh. I've arranged this episode mostly in a timeline because uh, I don't know. That's how I think. I'm an engineer. So, so, <laughs> so we start at the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, the world was created, um, and then sometime later in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell is granted a patent on the telephone. Notice that I did <laughs> not say the, the key. <laughs> invented the telephone <laughs> whether he invented the telephone or not is like a completely separate episode on oh, like a completely different get, podcast he did get the patent on it uh in the yeah. same way because <laughs> he got there first basically employing the same strategy that people use today to acquire uh expensive sneakers
1: certainly i mean hey it worked for carl ben's Right,
0: exactly, so um commiserations to uh the other guy, Elisha Gray,
1: is that his name? I don't know. we don't know his name because he didn't I get the patent. Don't remember <laughs> I didn't do I did almost no research for this research for this episode, um, so yeah. you know <laughs>
0: uh, this is this is why companies around the world encourage you to file patents or record inventions as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Then later on in 1877, the American Bell Telephone Company is opened in where else? New Haven, Connecticut. The center of American industry. Yeah. Um, In 1880, American Telephone and Telegraph is founded under the Bell Company to create long-distance service. Which at the time time meant,
1: like, Connecticut to Massachusetts, I think.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, at the time, like you could call like down the street, but if you wanted yes. to call like the pizza, you know, pizzeria, that was gonna be that just wasn't really feasible. No, and we, we'll get no. into why that is in a bit. But um, yeah, they, they decided, <clears throat> hey, we should uh, connect all these things up in eighteen eighty one. Oh, go ahead. <laughs>
1: it, for for a little bit there, it was kind of like um, back when you had some friends on AIM and some friends on MSN, and like you'd have to. You know, there was no way to interconnect. Right.
0: Yeah, that was before we all just used Discord, which is sort of the bell system of the internet, if you think about it.
1: Huh.
0: Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Much to think about. Yeah. (laughs) Much to think about. Although, maybe it's more of like a, uh, maybe it's more of the GTE of the internet to like Slack. I don't know.
1: Mm, (laughs) Put a pin in that. We'll come back. We'll we'll come back to this metaphor.
0: In 1881, AT&T acquired Western Electric from Western Union, the telegram company. Western Electric would become its main uh, equipment manufacturing arm subdivision, etc. Uh, I thought that was interesting because I never understood why it was called Western Electric. Turns, on AT- turns out AT&T just, like, acquired things and then Yeah, you know, I never – I
1: didn't know that either until very recently because I, I never thought yeah. about it much. because I own enough Western Electric phones, you'd think I'd think about it at some point, but uh, mm. nope.
0: Yep. In 1892, the AT&T Network, which started in New York, reached Chicago, uh, which was basically the length of the country at that point. At that point, there was nothing west of
1: there that you really needed to call. Right.
0: Worth noting that at this point, like to cover that distance, if you wanted to call that distance, you would have to shout very loudly into the
1: telephone. (laughs) Yes, they hadn't yet worked out (laughs) amplification. Yeah. In any Uh, meaningful way.
0: In 1899, AT&T basically takes over its parent company, the American Bell Telephone Company, and becomes the the main company. Um, and that would continue all the way up until 1907. <laughs> well, and then yes. indeed later. But in 1907 is where things really start kicking off. A guy named Theodore Newton Vale becomes the president of AT&T. Uh, and he was a firm believer that the U.S. should only have one telephone system. Uh, And so he started acquiring smaller telephone companies that have sprung up. He also bought Western Union because, you know, why not? This is
1: um, and this is interesting because in um, in non-American countries, which is the case for a lot of things, America just loves letting private enterprise set up infrastructure. Um, mm. In most European countries, for example, um, the telephone network started out as an extension of the company's uh, sorry, of the country's post office. So, like, right, you know, until the eighties or so, really, the British Telecom was just part of the Royal Mail, was part of the general post office. Um, Those didn't really get spun off until, like I said, the 80s when neoliberalism really started happening. Mm. Yeah, we didn't do that. No, we we just started out with it being a private company. Right. And and of
0: course, uh, there were thoughts of sort of nationalizing it early on, but AT&T was like extremely careful to thread that needle. And so they adopted Mm. this slogan, which which came to sort of um, signify the bell system. One policy, one system, universal service. And also, they began freezing out competitors from accessing its long-distance network.
1: Which yes, when cool. we say one system, we mean our system. Right. Uh, and
0: uh, in 1910, Theodore Vale said, The telephone system should be universal, interdependent, and intercommunicating, affording opportunity for any subscriber of any exchange to communicate with any other subscriber of any other exchange. That some sort of connection with the telephone system should be within reach of all, that all of this can be accomplished under such control and regulation as well as afford the public much better service at less cost than any competition or governmental-owned monopoly. Stick a pin in that for later. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. You know, obviously the telephone system should be universal and interconnecting um, as long as it's like a single system that we control, basically. Mm Yes. Yes. It's going to interconnect within our system, but not with yours. Um, in 1913, AT&T acquires the patents of the Audion vacuum tube from Lead to Forest, uh, which was one of the first things that made amplification possible. So now you can do long distance uh, nationwide, and indeed they start building nationwide uh, long distance lines at this point. And you also have to stop literally shouting. We weren't joking about that. You actually had to shout. Yeah, you did have to shout. You no longer have to shout at this point. You do have. You to actually had one
1: loudly. like uninterrupted direct connection across multiple cables, but it was one direct electrical connection from New York to Chicago for every call. Yeah, not great. But we fix um, that now. So,
0: also in 1913,
1: AT and T uh, has its
0: first antitrust action, and it agrees to something called the Kingsbury Commitment that basically gets the government off its back this required it to For sell now. off western union cuz like what the heck you can't also own the telegrams i don't think so no, um it had to it had to provide long distance service to non at&t phone companies and any future acquisitions that the company made would have to be approved by the interstate commerce commission uh so that got them to keep their independence um but they continued to establish this sort of dominance and monopoly um, through the 19 uh, uh, teens and 1920s um, helped by local and state governments which tried to avoid duplication they they didn't see a need for like multiple telephone lines you know um, from different companies all servicing the same you know house or whatever
1: mm. And um, local governments were in on this too. Right. Yeah. Which, and, um, and if so, you hear, if you, very softly in the background, you might hear Comcast music in the background. <laughs> just now. Stick a pin in that
0: for later. This was the point where telephone service starts to become considered a natural monopoly, and that they perceive that a single system is superior to many independent, incompatible systems. But we're Which also strictly still, wrong.
1: But yeah, we're also still totally happy to just have AT and T handle it. Yeah, as long as they're the monopoly, it's fine. Mm-hmm.
0: In 1925, AT&T founds Bell Labs, its research and development arm, uh, which we will come to later, uh, but would be a very influential part of the Bell system and indeed, uh, you know, scientific and technological progress in general in the 20th century. Um, At this point, 1925, you have the basic form of the Bell system that continues until 1984. So you have AT&T Long Lines, which is the long distance service. Western Electric, which is for making the equipment, Bell Labs for doing R&D, and then the Bell Operating Companies, or BOCs, which actually provide the local telephone service uh, you know, to subscribers. Um, and the way that this whole grift works is that uh, the Bell Systems telephones are manufactured by Western Electric. Western Electric sells them to the Bell Operating Companies, and then the Bell Operating Companies leases you the phone. You're not allowed to bring your own phone. You have to lease a
1: phone from the Bell, from the, the local Bell company. And you can't buy your phone. You can't buy another phone. It's just, you know, you lease a black, a 302 by now, buy yeah. Western Electric, and that's what you get. Maybe a if man in a really van nicely. comes around and <laughs> permanently wires it into your wall. Yeah, they also hadn't invented modular or any sort of plug yet. It was hardwired, and if you asked really nicely, I think you could get a white one by now, but you had mm. to ask really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you know it has aspects
0: of like a government monopoly you know in the sort of Soviet style where it's like we put it really does on
1: and if if you've ever watched um I mean it's comical and it wasn't actually like this but if you've ever watched the old um, TV show that used to be on TV land and also on broadcast TV but I was wasn't alive yet uh, Green Acres where they had mm-hmm. to climb up the telephone pole to actually get to their telephone it was just it was just hardwired in it was just hardwired you couldn't move it around the house you couldn't unplug it. Yeah. But this wasn't it wasn't too uncommon for electrical devices at the time. This is honestly probably in the 1920s you might still be living in a house where if you needed electricity for a toaster or something you'd have to screw something into a light bulb socket. Right. And
0: one of the things is that because they only made like, you know, like one or two telephone models uh, what mm-hmm. were they going to do with their time in the meantime? Ruthlessly test said telephone models. So I <laughs> yes. watched some videos of an apparatus that Western Electric had for basically slamming the receiver onto the body of Model twenty five hundred telephones over
1: and over and oh, over yes. again. Oh yes, yeah. And no, I begin I've seen to that one understand well. why they are indeed so robust. <laughs> they certainly are. As the owner of several or a few, yeah. not several, but a few. But it's kind of like the. Um, it's not unlike Ikea used to have displays with their, like, you know, the machine that opens and closes a drawer yeah, 50,000 times in a right. day. Yeah, yeah. the
0: little thing that it's... sits on a Poang chair.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Damn, robots taking our jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in 1934, the Communications Act of 1934 establishes the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, which takes over regulation of the Bell system. And it starts regulating rates for long-distance calls, Uh, but intrastate calls remain regulated by the state public utility commissions, uh, which is cool. We love patchwork regulation. It's great.
1: Sure, and I'm also curious how this worked. Um, I should have looked, I guess, but I didn't think about it until now. Um, How does that work with, say, New England Telephone, whose service area covered two states? That's a great question. I think
0: I think that the state boundaries mattered for determining that it was long distance. Yeah,
1: that I mean, if it probably Or basically or, if it
0: crossed the state boundary, it was then subject to FCC rules. So Certainly, yeah. Which meant uh certainly that if you if you lived in Connecticut and wanted to call your friend like a couple miles away
1: in like New York, you know, enjoy. <laughs> Just over the border in Greenwich, yes. <laughs> right. Have fun. Um because area codes weren't a thing yet, but I mean, because once they invented area codes, the building became much easier. But right, yeah. At this point, there weren't that many people who had
0: telephones, so you didn't need, no. you know, you only needed like six numbers or something like that. Mm-hmm. wasn't that many. Um, also, at this time, a company called General Telephone is organized from a bunch of uh, little independent telephone companies that were called the Associated Telephone Utilities Company, and uh, you know they they will become one of the independent competitors to AT&T um and then we'll find out what happens to them later <laughs> in 1949 the department of Ju- justice alleges that AT&T is abusing its monopoly position and I'm begins shocked. litigation with the company uh that continues until 1956 in 1956 you get what is for a time the biggest uh Um, litigation and regulatory action against at&t um it's also one of the biggest
1: antitrust um uh, litigations in general
0: right so in 1956 at&t agrees to a consent decree that limits it to owning or controlling 85 percent of the u.s national telephone network um And uh, so they also had to divest uh, from their Canadian operations, Bell Canada, Northern Electric, and their Caribbean operations, which were under uh, ITT. Um, And uh, I have a quote here from the book that I read, um, uh, uh, Disconnecting Parties. It's even more remarkable, however, is the historical irony that those momentous new technologies that were eventually enlisted in the campaigns to undermine and finally to dissolve the Bell system That this would come to pass was a function of Bell Labs' longstanding legal obligation to make its patents readily available to all comers as codified in a consent decree with the government in 1956. Uh, This, too, as will be seen, was an important feature of the Bell System's special public interest-oriented covenant with the public sector. Treated by legal charter as a national resource, Bell Labs disseminated its scientific knowledge and technological achievements. Not surprisingly, many companies and industries looked for ways to take commercial advantage of the new expertise. So, yeah, they were required as a result of their monopoly position that basically anyone who came to them wanted to license a patent. They had to, to make some sort of deal with them. Uh, indirectly which, this is why i have a job
2: right indirectly it's why we have computers <laughs> yeah
0: Th- this would come to be important as it mentions yes. um also in 1956 there's a separate act called Hushaphone. uh a company called Hushophone. they don't name things like they used to
1: they used to name things they truly really like.
0: yeah we truly used to have much more zany names for <clears throat> like regular plain old devices <laughs> <laughs> but the Hushaphone was was this device that you could um put on your phone and the idea was that it would stop other people from overhearing your calls as you made. Yeah, them. it would
1: fit over like the end of the microphone end of your telephone handset, and it has course, a very ambitious has- name for what is essentially like a piece of bakelite. <laughs> Yes, it's just a piece of plastic that means you can whisper a little bit, but not too softly. You can see your telephone. I, I and, encourage you know, listeners maybe to ever heard, to, to look up, look this up, because the device just looks
0: really ridiculous. And on Wikipedia, there's a picture of a guy using one, and he's just talking into a box, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But you could, um, uh, basically, AT&T alleged that... Um, uh, you know, you, you couldn't use this at all. Like it was a violation of their, um, you know, their their system rules and things like that. Um, and so, in this ruling, the U.C. Court of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit determined that um, it was not a foreign attachment, quote unquote, and it could be used on customer lines and equipment without incurring extra
1: fees breaking news Um, you can attach uh, pieces of plastic to your telephone
0: yeah an important caveat of this decision was it didn't allow for electrical connections of devices to the bell system still this was like purely passive devices you could like attach to telephone equipment but you couldn't wire anything directly into the bell system at this point which is why this remained for a while which is why early modems and things like that required you to use an acoustic coupler where you actually had to like pick up the phone
1: and set it on a thing that connected Mm. to your computer early modems and also there were devices that used acoustic couplers to um connect a telephone up to a two-way radio as well oh yes that's right yeah and i think this is um if i recall correctly um if if the wiring in your house was installed by the bells by your local bell company they owned the wires in your house they did indeed yes (laughs) which yeah that's you know they they
0: claimed this is indeed, and we'll get to it after after the, um, the bell system breakup and all that. This is when you get um, on your house, you have your telephone demarcation point. That marks the mm. point where the wiring past that point belongs to you, and anything before that belongs to the telephone company. But yes. before that, it all just belonged to the telephone company, and you were leasing it from them. Which Along is with kind of phone, wild to think you know. about,
1: yeah. <laughs> it really does raise some qu- – I, I don't think it ever really came up, but it would potentially cause some interesting situations for insurance claims and things like that. <laughs> right, yeah. It probably did at some point, but. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, anyway, the mm. Hushaphone uh, uh, decision opened up a secondary market for telephone equipment, um, which would continue to grow in time. Uh, in 1959, General Telephone acquires a company called Sylvania Electric Products, which you you may be familiar with because they're a brand used for, like, light bulbs and stuff. But mm-hmm. at the time, they made quite a bit more than that. Um, but they changed their name to General Telephone and Electronics, or GT&E. Uh, in 1963, a company called Microwave Communications Incorporated, or MCI, is founded to construct microwave relay stations between Chicago and St. Louis. However, it will take them some time to receive uh, the right permission to actually do this. Uh, Quite some time, indeed. We will return to them later. Yes. In 1965, another independent telephone company called Continental Telephone Corporation is organized. Um, It will eventually grow to become the third largest independent phone company. Um, In 1967, fun railroad side note... The we American Association of Railroads requires each rail car to be equipped with GT and E's Car Track Automatic Car Identification System. Uh, this is neat because it was one of the first applications of barcodes, and it was in color.
1: It certainly uh, was. So this was just, just a they plate just went with... for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was they were um, testing a way to you know automatically identify. Um, you know, freight cars, because otherwise they would just be, you'd have a guy standing there writing down the numbers as they went by. Which is hard to do if they're going by at speed. Certainly, certainly. (laughs) Um, So this was just a big old metal plate welded to the side of every freight car with um, some reflective stickers of various patterns on it. (laughs) And you'd have a camera line side as the train went by, and it would scan each barcode. Of course, this
0: thing is common now. Indeed, that's what QR codes were, were originally developed for, was for auto part mm-hmm. identification. And we can do it very quickly and reliably now, but uh, in 1967, not, not, not so, so much. in 1967. It turns out that things like snow, frost, mm. dirt, um, generally Long. anything that would get on anything you leave outside, which is uh, the place where you put rail cars, uh, yes. would cause issues. Graffiti. Yeah. Oh, mm, yeah, that also mm. became a problem around this time um but yeah uh very very neat thing by the way the way they do this now is just with rfid tags which is way smarter but you know we hadn't invented that yet in 1968 the fcc determines that the carter phone a device which allows a two-way radio user to patch into a telephone line may be electrically connected to the at&t
1: network for the very uh, first time, you no longer have to deal with the terrible sound quality of talking into a two-way radio and having the speaker from the other end's radio go, you know, play near the microphone of your hands telephone handset. Right. This
0: FCC decision also allowed any lawful device to connect to the network, which meant that you could now connect all sorts of things like answering machines, fax machines, modems, mm. uh, your own telephone, maybe? <clears throat> we'll see. Maybe. Um, We're gonna in find 1969 out. the FCC votes so remember MCI was founded in 1963 now here in 1969 the FCC has finally voted to allow MCI to construct microwave relay stations uh AT&T appeals the decision but is dismissed um in 1971 GT&E becomes GTE also uh, another thing the Southern Pacific Railroad Begins exploring opening up its internal telephone network to outside business and establishes the Southern Pacific Communications Company. Um, hmm.
1: They had all these track and they had telephone lines running along them anyway for internal communications. And well, you know, why not? Yeah, well, it was, they're not decent know, all the time, right?
0: Exactly. So, um, also at this time, the Oak Ridge Telephone Company, uh, based out of Tennessee, is name. renamed to the Century Telephone Company. Um. Hmm then we come to 1974 in 1974 the u.s department of justice files an antitrust lawsuit against at&t and it's the big one uh it would take 10 years to resolve uh quote from disconnecting parties here the bell system was charged with monopolizing communications markets attempting to restrict and eliminate competition from other common carriers private systems and manufacturers and unlawfully favoring western electric products The remedy sought by the Justice Department was total divestiture, the breakup of the Bell system. AT&T's response was that this case was inappropriate and unmerited since the Bell system was constituted to abide by a set of regulatory statutes fundamentally incompatible with antitrust laws. As a regulated monopoly, the Bell system was not only permitted but obligated to engage in precisely the behaviors antitrust law was designed to constrain. It objected to being punished by an antitrust litigation for complying faithfully with its regulatory charter.
1: And um, they had a little bit of a point, you know. There are a few legally permitted monopolies out there. AT and T was one. Uh, Major League Baseball continues to be one. You know, they're not right. It's not impossible.
0: Yeah, and their point but, was, well, you know, we agreed. You know, like our whole thing is like we we you know, you guys said we have to provide universal service. So we're doing that, and it necessitates all these other things, you know, because we've been told we are the only phone system, and now (laughs) you're saying we can't be – like, it's illegal for us to be the only phone system. What the heck?
1: So they did kind of have a point. They did Um, kind of have a point, but they did not – you know, the the original – the Kingsbury commitment was – did not anticipate third-party, we'll call them, long-distance providers like MCI was trying to do. And it certainly did not um,
0: anticipate the march of technology uh, when computers and communication services would eventually converge and become essentially indistinguishable. Certainly um, not, Because one no. thing I forgot to mention is that in that 1956 consent decree, uh, AT&T was prohibited from getting involved with these newfangled computer things entirely. It could not enter the market.
1: Yeah, it's not like they ever on need one. On. They're the phone company. Phones aren't right. computers. Yeah, it
0: was like, listen, we've got like IBM's working on them. Rand yeah. is working. Like, it's
1: fun. don't just you know. Spare listen. Univac's over there working on them. You know, yeah, we're exactly. we're fine. We're fine. Uh, in
0: 1975, MCI begins to offer long-distance voice telephone service over its microwave network, providing the first serious competition to AT and T long lines. Uh, also, the Southern Pacific Communications Company is renamed Sprint, which is you may an have acronym. Heard of them. For the Southern Pacific Railroad Internal Networking Telephony. Apparently that was chosen from a competition, an internal competition for names. It's catchy. I'll give them that. Yeah. Um, Lawsuits against Sprint and MCI by AT&T are decided against AT&T and in favor of competition. Um, More quotes here. It must be noted that the FCC's first regulatory moves were narrow in scope and intent designed to open special areas of the market to specific classes of competitors. Although their scope steadily widened, docket decisions up through the early 1970s were oriented towards specialized market sector concept of telecommunications deregulation. Basically, the idea, especially when it came to MCI, was that MCI was offering like a business long distance service you weren't yeah, expected as a was normal too, really. yeah you weren't expected as like a <laughs> normal you know random home consumer to be purchasing their long distance service this was meant for businesses that needed to get stuff done and like get mm. messages you know across the country yeah um but of course scope creep basically mm-hmm. the thing which comes for every project it um, certainly does and then at, at uh in the nineteen nineteen seventy five, 1975 a guy named John DeButts, and that is indeed huh. his name uh became I'm the worried. chairman of AT&T and sort of in response to the whole lawsuit that was going on he reiterated um sort of in broadly broad terms what what Theodore Vail had said many years ago uh the sort of purpose of the bell system he said the bell system's goal as i see it is to ensure the widest availability of high quality communication services at the lowest cost to the entire public that is my definition of the basic social purpose for which this business
1: exists it is my definition of the public interest and i am once again asking why isn't it you know a socialized industry then but why not but this
0: is, is something interesting that I sort of came across, especially in the in the um, the hour long video that I watched, is that they interviewed quite a lot of Bell System or former Bell System employees, and all of them talk about um, this sort of social obligation. Um, it was
1: really common at the time. They really, you know, yeah. and not incorrectly, I would argue, saw themselves as providing a valuable. You know, it's an essential service. service. Yeah. yeah, which I it mean, is. It really is.
0: Like, they understood they had to provide the service. It had to work all the time, and mm-hmm. it had to be inexpensive, and it had to work for everyone, regardless of where they were in the country. Um, in a sense, it's sort of, um, you know, the same way that – it struck me as the same way that people from, you know, companies like Patagonia talk about their company's role in, like, protecting the environment – that same sort of language you know yeah it's not dissimilar it really isn't yeah which i thought was interesting but of course you know
1: in other countries you just have the government do it yes (laughs) it is somewhat hard to square that like you know i can understand like you know your local repair person certainly might i would agree with them saying that you know they're doing they're helping the public in what they do but once you get past the uh, once you get into management it's it And there were many,
0: many layers of management at AT AT&T. Many. It was was for a time like the world's largest company. They employed, um, I think I have the statistic later on, they employed nearly 1 million people. The only enterprise larger than AT&T was the U.S. government. In 1977, uh, a high and low for GTE... Um, in 1977, GTE sent the first, te- first telephone traffic through fiber optic cables, uh, which would come to provide uh, a, a much uh, more reliable, much higher capacity alternative to copper cables and microwave relays that ATT had been using up to that point. Mm. Also Although, at in, this time, I believe
1: at this time, ATT was also researching this for, um, and it came about in the 80s really, but it, they were researching transatlantic indeed. cables. Yes, indeed, the Bell Bell Labs basically
0: invented fiber optics, and then you know other companies commercialized it. <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> um, also in 1977 car track is abandoned because it's crap
1: yes Commiserations. <laughs> too many stickers kept falling off, you know yeah and so
0: before we go any further, I want to sort of recap, okay, so what at this point what is what is the bell system? what do we have? Um, well, we, we have what we mentioned before. We have at t long lines. We have Western Electric. We have the Bell Labs. Then we have the Bell operating companies, of which there are many. Uh, many, al- almost one for each state. Not quite.
1: Not Illinois quite, Bell. But like for certainly for a region. Yeah.
0: Right. Illinois Bell, Indiana Bell, Michigan Bell, New England Telephone and Telegraph, New Jersey Bell, New York Telephone, Northwestern Bell, Pacific Northwestern Bell, South Central Bell, Southern Bell. The Bell Telephone Company of Pennsylvania, the Chesapeake and Potomac Telephone Company, Diamond State Telephone Company, Mountain States Telephone and Telegraph, Ohio Bell, Pacific Telephone and Telegraph, and Wisconsin Telephone Company, Um, previously Bell Canada and Northern Electric
1: or Nortel. Um, which produced hardware for in the same way that Western Electric did. Indeed, uh, IT... I have a um. Sorry, I have a um. A telephone from Northern uh, Electric, which was originally issued in Buffalo. So there was some cross-border supply going on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Itt Itt for the Caribbean, um, NEC in Japan, as well as uh, NTT in Japan, the the national that's, telephone that's company. That's the same of Japan. NEC
1: that makes computers and monitors and things like that, right? Yes, indeed, same?
0: yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, They basically sort of replicated their strategy in both Canada and then after World War II in Japan as well Mm, um, with, like, having an equipment company and the telephone company. And then AT&T owned part of but not entirely of Cincinnati Bell and the Southern New England Telephone Company.
1: Which in this case means Connecticut. Why is it called that? We don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um So they controlled approximately 85% of the telephone market in the U.S. and 85% of the territory. Um, There were patches where independent companies like GTE and uh, Century Telephone provided service. Um, But the way that the Bell system worked... um, uh, the quote from Disconnecting Parties: There could be no more powerful tool for ensuring universal service in the structure of Bell System rates, which set price below cost for basic residential phone service and covered those costs with revenues from higher-priced long-distance or business services. Thus, service costs were averaged, and the charges for them in uh, and charged for them uh, a portion in such a way as to make reliable telephone service available to the greatest number of people. So they basically something- subsidized. Sorry. Uh, they're, you know, it's, it's money losing, basically, to have to provide service to absolutely everyone because people live all over the place. So you subsidize that by charging businesses a whole lot of money and then charging a whole
1: lot for long-distance calls. And this is something we don't really think about anymore, partly because – Everyone has, well, many people have phone. Uh, their cell phone numbers are from somewhere where they're not, or where they're not right now. But you right. used to have to care about long distance charges, which cost more than local phone charges. And if your Greatly phone, if you're, wrong. <laughs> uh, yes, if your state got split up into multiple uh, area codes because there were more phone numbers needed, you know, it would introduce billing complications and. I mean they used to you used to get um for cell phone at least I f- I think this was true for landlines as well a long time ago um mm-hmm. You know, you'd have cheaper long distance rates on overnights and weekends when businesses weren't using them.
0: <laughs> I watched a Sprint commercial that was
1: like, Nights and weekends are now
0: free. And I'm like, so oh, many things I we don't that. have to think about anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't someone, even pay someone for Someone calls you at 5
1: p.m. and you're like, Not now. Call me back after 8. <laughs> Nowadays, you don't even, like, you know, my phone plan doesn't even care how many calls I make, but right, it used exactly. to matter a lot, and yeah. the time used to matter, too. Mm hmm. This is why so many parents like to call you on, like, Saturday night or Sunday night after 6 p.m. Right.
0: And it would turn out that this sort of using long-distance rates to cover the cost of local phone service uh, would basically fall apart with the divestiture of the bell system uh, with, uh, someone say, disastrous effects to rates. Because you basically mm-hmm. can't do that anymore when they're two separate companies. No, <laughs> But we'll get to that. Um, we'll 1980... A company called United Telecommunications begins work on a 23,000-mile fiber-optic network. Um, Also in 1980, the FCC announced a uh, landmark deregulation decision. Uh, It drew a distinction between two kinds of services, basic and enhanced, which were differentiated by both technological and market characteristics. Basic services would remain under regulation. Enhanced service would be fully deregulated. Also deregulated would be all new customer premises equipment, which increasingly involved the application of solid state electronics technologies. AT and T could participate in the enhanced services and customer premises equipment markets only by establishing a fully separated subsidiary, which would be allowed to compete unrestricted in those markets. So this is where you get um, when you, if you've heard about, you know. Um, uh, net neutrality and regulating um, internet as a common carrier—that's what they're talking about here. Um, internet was considered an enhanced service and was thus not and still regulated. is, yeah, yeah, indeed. And there have been proposals to regulate it as a basic service, um, which obviously requires uh, more stringent rules on rates and you know universal service and things like that. And that's where that um, two-tiered system originates from—is this 1980? Um, decision by the FCC. Mm. Now we're really getting into it. Are you excited? Now we're getting (laughs) to the fun bits. (laughs) 1982. On January 9th, 1982, AT&T announces that it has reached an agreement with the Department of Justice to break itself up. Uh, uh, Quotes here from... Uh, the same book, Disconnecting Parties, again. In December 1981, AT&T acted. Negotiations with the Justice Department were resumed. On January 8th, 1982, ATT and t and the Justice Department announced to the public their agreement to settle the case. The agreement was officially known as the Modification of Final Judgment and that Catchy. it vacated and replaced the Final Judgment or Consent Decree of 1956 uh, that ended the antitrust suit filed by the government in 1949. The modification of final judgment was in effect a new consent decree and had called for AT&T to divest the local portions of its 22 Bell operating companies, thereby separating local exchange operations from the other parts of the business. AT&T would continue to carry on the business of intercity service and terminal equipment. It would retain Western Electric and Bell Labs. In turn, the government would dismiss the suit and would remove the 1956 consent decree restrictions limiting AT&T to provision of common carrier services. Uh, basically saying that it would be allowed at t would be allowed to compete in the computer market um, AT&T. Really settled... Indeed at this point you know 1982 computers were becoming a real big deal and would only continue to become a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Um, says your AT&T settled and agreed to divest largely to ensure it maintained Western Electric and Bell Labs. It feared that if it did not settle, it would lose those two pieces of the Bell system, which was considered to be a disastrous event if it came to pass. Ultimately, this would not be the case. It would later become to realize that um, it didn't really (laughs) matter that much.
1: And they did (laughs) eventually lose Bell Labs, but we'll get to that. And Western Electric. And Western Electric, yes. (laughs) Um... Uh,
0: um, So uh, it continues, no later than six months after the effective date of final judgment, defendant AT&T shall submit to the Department of Justice for its approval and thereafter implement a plan of reorganization. That was the extent in 1982 of um, the roadmap ahead, which was basically we're going to create a roadmap. And indeed, the the book that I, I read was basically about how they went about figuring this all out. Um, how do you break up the largest company in america indeed consequently at&t managers would have to develop the plan without the benefit of specifications requirements or even a hint of the scope or content expected by assistant attorney general baxter um i have to say the book disconnecting parties strikes me as particularly whiny it's written by a guy who was at uh, AT at&t and basically in charge of the um you know divestiture planning and uh basically Something the first he two didn't chapters to do <laughs> right yeah basically the first two chapters are like him whining that they had to do it and that they got no guidance on it but like i don't know what guidance you expect from the department of justice about how to break up your phone system they're they're lawyers <laughs> they don't know anything about that so like honestly they should feel very lucky that they got to write their own
1: divestiture plan <laughs> yeah it's really sort of you know if if the government had um I mean obviously my opinion is that they should have just bought it outright but um right. if the government had issued a plan for them nobody would have been happy indeed yeah nobody <laughs> Uh,
0: says here, they knew the story went something like this. New divested companies, each with anywhere from 15 to $23 billion in assets, would have to be launched, if not from nothing, then certainly with a markedly altered character. 70 million customer accounts comprising 200 million customer records would have to be split and allotted amongst new segments of AT&T and the regional Bell operating companies. 24,000 buildings and 177,000 motor vehicles would have to be reassigned. New sales and service offices would have to be established, Staffed and set in an operation across the country, 136,000 employees would have to be transferred across company borders within the Bell System. Hundreds of new tariffs would have to be filed with regulatory commissions. Scores of computerized operational support systems would have to be torn apart, redesigned, reprogrammed, tested, and debugged. And the remaining AT&T would have to undergo radical reorganization. Perhaps the most trying aspect of these tasks was their interdependence. For example, as- access charges were dependent on asset subdivision. As division was dependent on how exchange boundaries, that is, the boundaries of calling areas to be served by the diverse companies, were drawn. Approval of exchange boundaries was dependent on joint AT&T-Bell Operating Company team study and analysis, as well as approvals from the Justice Department and the court. And so it went. In effect, it was a giant jigsaw puzzle disassembled, the pieces strewn about, with no one knowing with any precision what the final picture was supposed to look like. Um, One Bell Operating Company president, hoping to get some grip on the project, asked his staff to develop questions that would have to be answered before the terms of the decree could be executed. The response was a two-inch-thick binder with thousands of them organized by department. (laughs) (laughs) And indeed, so one of the things um, that I read was they had to decide, firstly, like, so they had these, um, as I read them all, they had these 22 Bell Operating Companies. And the question is, do we, what do we do? Like, do we... How do we split this up? Do we have a? Do we just keep the twenty-two Bell operating companies? And it was like, well, they're all very disparate sized, you know. Mm. Like some are have way more customers than others. Um, Apparently, at one point there was a suggestion to split them into forty-eight Bell operating companies, one per state, which is an even worse idea. What about
1: (laughs) Alaska and Hawaii?
0: yeah i don't know we don't we don't don't care about them Um, uh they're
1: off they're off in the corner of the map we forgot about them
0: right uh it would eventually be decided um to split them up into what is it one two three four five six seven uh Mm. bell operating companies that sort of um consolidated um several smaller regions into larger regions um Also, recall from the video that I watched talking about, you know, um, often you would have central offices where they would be local exchange equipment and long-distance exchange equipment. And Mm -hmm. uh, who do you decide who that building belongs to? Well, in a lot of cases, you ended up painting a line down the middle (laughs) of the building and saying, this part belongs to AT&T and this part belongs to the Bell Operating Company. Mm -hmm. Indeed, they did the same thing. There's a – they have a facility – In upstate New York, where they test telephone equipment, you know, they just have like a whole bunch of telephone poles and telephone wire, um, and they were trying to decide between the operating companies and AT and T who should get it, and so they just decided to each take half of it. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that continued uh, all over the place. Basically, another interesting thing in that video that I watched was um, when you dial four one one, you reach a local operator. The local operators fell under the Bell operating companies. When you dialed zero with a long-distance number, you reached the long-distance operator, which fell under the AT&T operator. That would be long lines, right? <laughs> indeed. Um, and for a time, they would continue to be housed in the same building, indeed even in the same room, um, employed by <laughs> completely separate companies. Um, oh, very funny. And, There is interesting um... discussion in the video about the sort of repercussions of that, especially with, like, a woman uh, whose mom – who was an operator and whose mom was also an operator but was a dial zero
1: operator when she was a 411 operator. Uh (laughs) My grandmother was a telephone operator in Tallahassee, but she wasn't with the Bell System. They were with GTE, which um, mostly just means the names in her pension check changed about every 10 years. But we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gee. Um... (laughs) Yeah. Um, also in
0: 1982, uh, uh, MCI acquires the wires and rights of way of Western Union, uh, expanding its little empire. In 1983, GTE acquires Sprint and becomes GTE Sprint. Um, also, a company called Ameritech Cellular is founded. Hmm, cellular telephones. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if those? this will. <laughs> I wonder if this will be important later on. Also, 1983. Fine. MCI launches this thing called MCI Mail, uh, which was this interesting new product called Electronic Mail.
1: Electronic Mail? It
0: didn't take off at the time, if you believe it or not. Of course, nowadays, all I do is receive emails. So. And now, you know. nowadays, all I want to do is stop receiving emails. But it was interesting because it was apparently like an entire failed venture for MCI that would later go I on know to be... One.
1: And entire yeah, Vince Surf yeah, worked on it, it. Seems a little early. <laughs> it seems a little early because not that many people had computers at home yet. Never mind. Indeed, um,
0: it was it was built connection. as a business
1: product once again. Of, oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But at this because nineteen eighty three, you'd have what an Apple II, a Commodore, something like that. Sure, no modem. Right, definitely not a modem.
0: Yeah, but at this point, you know, business people who are making these sorts of decisions about to whether to acquire the service or not. Did not understand it and did not see the value in it, so uh, no. you know it's fine. But yes, it was partially developed, developed at least in part by Vint Cerf, who also invented TCP/IP or co-invented TCP/IP, which makes the internet <laughs> work. Uh, it certainly he worked does. for MCI for a time. Um, also in 19 th- 1983, another company called Long Distance Discount Services or LDDS is formed. Uh, and not now we come catchy. to 1984. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, as we'll find shortly, they will change their name and become a completely (laughs) different company. Uh, 1984, the Bell system is broken up. Uh, Oh, boy. uh, At the time of its breakup, AT&T employed over 900,000 employees and was the largest corporation in the world. Only the U.S. government employed more people. They employed 7,800 Smiths and 3,600 Browns i wonder how many john smiths there were i really do i don't know one of the browns was chairman of the company <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, good stock, luck to the rest of you there's at&t stock was held by 3.2 million shareholders it was the most widely held security at the time and what is considered a blue chip stock mm. um, and
2: their ticker was and
0: still is t just the one letter indeed um Of the breakup of the Bell system, Chairman Charles Brown said, and this is a direct quote, it wasn't our idea. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) AT&T retained control of Western Electric, Bell Labs, and Long Lines. Uh, Although, you know, asterisk here, they retained control of most of Bell Labs. Uh, Most. The rest is split into Ameritech, which consisted of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, except for Cincinnati Bell, and Wisconsin bell atlantic now, hang on oh, sorry on.
1: question though cincinnati belt is literally just the area around cincinnati right indeed it is <laughs> what <Yep>. a small <laughs> how um, did they pull th- that one off <laughs> i don't know
0: i i truly don't know it's bizarre <laughs> It is (laughs) because I always, you know, its own
1: cell network for a time, even they did. Whenever I am up late and, um, you know, going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole about ATT, which happens more often, than I care to admit, it does happen a lot. Every time I come across that, I'm like, how did Cincinnati Bell manage to pull that off for so long? Yeah, Um, I don't want to spoil
0: it. But Cincinnati Bell does have an expanded service area now in the in the in the current time.
1: Mm, Just a bit. Just a bit.
0: Um, So you had Ameritech, you have Bell Atlantic, which is New Jersey, D.C., Maryland, West Virginia, Virginia, and Delaware. Um, Now, AT&T's plan to to, uh, retain control of Bell Labs was not well received by the Bell operating companies who also wanted a research and development arm. And so some of the R&D at Bell Labs was split off into a new company called Bell Communications Research, or Bell Core, which was uh, sort of co-owned by all of the Bell operating companies. In turn, uh, mm. Bellcore would go on to invent such things as caller ID. D- yeah,
1: th- I mean that's and, <laughs> and that's it.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
1: th- yeah. They what did they do? They they invented advanced, caller more ID. advanced um, telephone switches, things of that nature. The you
0: company know. pioneered many services, including caller ID, call waiting, mobile number portability, and toll free telephone number service. Um. Bellcore would eventually um, change its name to Telcordia. Then it would be acquired by Ericsson, restructured and rebranded as iConnective, which is what it's currently known at. Uh, what does it do now? It operates the number portability administration center, um, which basically is what makes sure that when you change uh, cell phone providers, you get to um, keep
1: your number. Um,
0: and <laughs> it also. Side note. Sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead.
1: No, oh, no. So just an interesting side about number portability just for funsies. Um, I mentioned um, the British Telecom earlier. Um, up until very, very, very recently, um, Ofcom, the British Telecommunications Regulatory Agency, handled mm-hmm. number portability in between, like, communicating between telephone providers, was handled through a Yahoo email group. Um, this became an issue when Yahoo <laughs> shut down their group's functionality. <laughs>
0: That is, a couple nearly, years ago. that is nearly as ridiculous as the entire automated clearinghouse electronic funds transfer system being based on FTP files. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Which is another thing. Um, iConnective also um, operates the common shortcode registry. Shortcode being like, uh, you know, when uh, you're told to text Joe to 30330, that's a short code. Oh, yeah. And I, used to, to, um, I used
1: to tweet a lot through 40404.
0: Yeah, Um cha or KGB, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for example. Yeah, so they run the registry for that. Um, currently headquartered in, where else? Piscataway, New Jersey. Ah, Piscataway. <laughs> Probably one of my favorite New Jersey, favorite New lot Jersey
1: lot towns because it has piss in it. <laughs> it's it's honestly, New Jersey comes up a lot when you talk about about labs because um, that's where it, it is. Indeed, and, um, uh, you know yeah. it's it's actually a nice town. It's nice. It's a nice little place.
0: AT and T or the Bell Systems, you know, headquarters were nominally in downtown New York, but a lot of the stuff was in Basking Ridge, uh, mm-hmm. New Jersey, and then the yeah Bell Labs had its whole complex. Well, they uh, had which, two. Yeah, well, one of their big complexes, which I forget what it was called, but Murray you know.
1: Hill was the big one up in North Jersey. But then
0: you had one in South Jersey as well. In yeah. Yes, HomeDell, that's the one I'm thinking of, which it no longer hmm. belongs to the Bell Labs. It's now been divvied up and like I think Nvidia has offices there and a bunch of other like startupy types. Yeah,
1: operations. they do. My old um it's Hol- a, you know, just generic tech offices. My um Yeah. my the company I used to work for was investigating a move there when their lease was up. We we will talk about the uh slow and
0: agonizing uh uh, decline of Bell Labs. We can't say death because Bell Labs does still still technically exist, but... <laughs> They're still yeah. there, we think. Right. Um, where were we? Bell Corps. Uh, then you had Bell South, which is Alabama, Florida, <laughs> Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Cincinnati Bell, still its own thing, was not combined Rock for on. some reason into the Rock other on. ones. Uh, 9X, <laughs> which is New York, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, uh massachusetts and rhode island uh, pacific telesis which was california nevada southwestern that was an i bell. and not a y as you might assume yeah very bizarre name um mm. a lot of people ended up just calling it pacific bell
1: regardless or
0: yeah or or pactel um southwestern bell which was arkansas kansas missouri oklahoma and texas um southern new england telephone company remained independent connecticut gets remained its own telephone yeah. company um, and U.S. West, which was basically everything else, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Iowa, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oregon, South Dakota, Utah, Washington, Wyoming, uh, and also Taco Bell. <laughs> Think outside the bun. Mm, yes. Um, also, at this point, AT&T is freed from the terms of the 1956 Consent Decree and is permitted to sell competing equipment, which they immediately began developing. Um, obviously, it went on to become a major success because we're all using AT&T brand computers right now, right?
1: Right? Mm, right. Eh, yeah. Yeah. They um, really, you know, it is yeah. ironic. We'll get to it later. But there's some deep irony here. We're sorry. Your call did not go through. Will you please hang up and try your call again? This is a recording.
0: Yeah, a uh, bit of a problem. Uh, also he in tried. 1984, MCI begins deploying optical fiber. Uh, congrats to them. Um, so why why did why? the Bell system break up? Um, you know, it's easy to say because the government made it. But, of course, that's a little bit simplistic. Um, it broke up because of increasingly... Uh, it was being sort of you know um undermined by competition from the microwave long distance services um It was perceived as having very high prices and a lack of innovation um the phones. because you were still you, in
1: nineteen eighty four you were still leasing your phone.
0: By you were still way. leasing your and phone, they, and you were still leasing a Model 2500 telephone uh, that looked which,
1: the same as it did. I, I have two of them. The thing about the 2500, so, um, just a brief digression, because I do love me some old phone hardware. Mm-hmm. The Model 500 telephone is if you're American and you picture, close your eyes and picture a rotary telephone in your head, you are almost certainly picturing a Model 500. It's a beautiful design. The internals are well designed. It's easy to repair. They it's last ever. You can use it as a murder weapon, and it's use it to call 911 afterwards. There is no way, Um, (laughs) if you are slamming that receiver onto something, there is no
0: way you're going to, like, crack the receiver before you crack what you're slamming it against. I have one right
1: next to me. It's a 2500, but that's fine. It's on a long cord, so I can bring it right up under the microphone, and... That's solid. That's not... Mm -hmm. Nothing's happening to that. And the thing about... So the 500 was the, um was the rotary model. The first revision was the 1500, and that mm. added the first touch-tone dialing, but they didn't have yet the star or pound keys. Yeah, we Someone hadn't discovered know those key. yet. <laughs> no, they <laughs> hadn't invented the hashtag yet. Um, um, yeah. Some people call the uh, pound sign the octothorpe, and we all know mm. it now, is the hashtag. So the 1500 had your... Um, one through zero keys, but it did not have star or pound. Those were added in the Model 2500 and is the classic sort of, you know, 3 by 4 grid that we all know today. Indeed. And, uh, you know, that was... No, oh, sorry, I wasn't done yet. Sorry. No. Oh. The thing about the 1500 <laughs> and the 2500 is that they literally um, took out the dial from the 500 and put in the touch tone mechanism and, like you know the the solid mm-hmm. state circuitry but the rest of the phone is the same it's yeah, still they basically has the, the faceplate right yeah, that's it they yeah. change the faceplate they put in the touch tone but the rest of the phone is mechanically and electrically identical
0: and indeed, I, I had uh, uh, several models, 2500s. I had one that had, like, the original, um, like, passive circuit way of generating the, the the DTMF tones that come from the keypad. And then I had later ones, which, you know, same design, but they were much more compact because there was just, like, a, a computer chip in there. Yeah, just one um, IC um, to can do, do it, it now. It.
1: <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah, you were, the you were still... Yeah, and you were still, in 1984, leasing that phone from your local bell company.
0: You were still Um, leasing that phone, and that was, like, one of maybe, like, three or four phone models that you could choose from you could all you could get a princess phone if you wanted yeah you um, had the princess the trim
1: line came out in the late in you the could get a trim early line. 70s yeah um, but you but know there weren't that many models and you it, many people were still leasing their um their rotary phones of course and you were a lot of people leased their phones because they either didn't care or didn't know any better up until you know the 2000s honestly right
0: when cordless phones became somewhat of a necessity <laughs> mm, yeah, um, yeah, but you know, so yeah, it was like uh, you, you started to wonder what you were paying for because nothing seemed to change necessarily. It all still worked, no. but you weren't really getting any benefit. You know, like mm. it wasn't that exciting. Um, and I think this is perhaps AT and T's shortcoming was it focused on providing uh, uh, universal service reliably, and indeed it did do that. And indeed, the telephone system continues to be quite reliable. Um, But they just didn't come up with new stuff for the nope. customers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, also, like we mentioned before, they were required to license their patents to all comers, which meant that um, when Bell Labs invented something to do with computers, AT&T
1: could not use that, but other companies mm-hmm. sure could. Um, <laughs> or even like even we talked about the 500 phone at the 2500 other companies made the, those phones. Like you, I mentioned earlier, I have a Northern Telecom uh, 500 rotary. Um, you know, I have an ITT produced 500 as well. That mm-hmm. you know, the, every every layer of this was you know open for other comers to to produce.
0: And especially since that decision in, the, in 1980, um, you could start buying phones from other companies. And this mm-hmm. is when business phones start to be a thing, you know, with lots of
1: buttons. Phones. That's how you know they're yeah. important. They have many buttons. Mm-hmm. and it's got blinking lights and all the whole deal right you know, they, and so like western electric produced um you know a phone with multiple lines or, or caller or right or um speed dial functions but they were still it was still a 500 shell it was still the same basic phone yeah they didn't and, really produce anything new yet there and so like even their captive phone market is starting to come out from under them
0: and so mm-hmm. you know seeing all this they were they sort of bowed to the inevitable um and also, at this point, technology had sufficiently developed to the point where, like, you didn't need... It wasn't technically necessary to have a single phone network operated by, like, a single company. You could interconnect pretty easily at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't really matter who owned the Switch, you know, at the central office. You could figure it out. And and this had all had been fairly well standardized at this point as well, you know, um... Uh, you know, the area codes, the numbering plan and all that. So it wasn't, you know, that had all been uh, well established for, you know, a number of decades at this point. And pretty Certainly. much all the other companies were, were you know, following it at this point. Yeah, because so. they
1: wanted, they were using those standards because they wanted to be able to interconnect with 85% of the American telephone markets.
0: Mm-hmm. So now we begin the sort of afterlife of the bell system uh, through the baby bells, as they were called, and then, you mm-hmm. know, what remained of AT&T. Um, In 1986, GTE spins Sprint off into a joint venture with United Telecom, uh, which comes to be known as U.S. Sprint. Um, In 1987, United Telecom buys GTE out of Sprint, takes full control, and renames itself to Sprint. Also in 1987, a company called Macaw Cellular is founded. Sounds like a guy in a shed with some radio equipment. You know, it really does. It really does. Just a guy you know what? Backyard. At the time, it probably was exactly that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in 1991, GTE acquires the Continental Telephone Company, enlarging its empire, um, and AT&T discontinues telegraph service, Took which long was enough. the thing they had
1: provided all the way up until 1991. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I-, I get. Th- I have the impression that they just sort of forgot that they were running it for the longest time. Indeed, it, it seems like they, you know, like early on they
0: were like, well, obviously we're going to keep the telegraph stuff with long
1: American and Telegraph AT&T. and Telephone, it comes first right. in the name.
0: Yeah, so like that was an easy decision, yeah, telegraph stuff stays with at and And then later on some bean counter looking to cut costs was like, we're still having guys in hats show up to people's houses with little index cards. Why are we doing that exactly? Stop. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um in 1994 AT&T purchases McCaw Cellular and it becomes AT&T Wireless. So in case you're mm. wondering where AT&T Cellular operations came from, uh you know, some weird little company in the middle of nowhere. Also in 1994 VoiceStream Wireless is founded and you start to see cellular networks coming to the fore here. Um in 1995, Sprint begins service on its PCS network. Sprint <laughs> PCS, Personal Communications Services, uh, its brand new cell network. It's very exciting. Um, it's extremely exciting. The new Sprint network is so clear you can actually hear a pin drop. That was their advertising.
1: And it indeed, was. And the this Sprint is logo for the... a time
0: was a stylized, uh, you know, version of a pin dropping.
1: Mm, I remember the TV commercials. I do. Um, yeah. This was also around when the Motorola StarTac came out, which was the first, I believe, the first flip phone as we, we know do them love today. It, yeah, mm-hmm. certainly the I first, love... so, one of the first cell phones that can actually fit in a pants pocket. It, you know, it really conveyed
0: that you were an important person when you yanked the phone out, you pulled the antenna out, and you flipped it open. People knew you missed out of your way. You know, mm-hmm. important like that business guy is happening. Is important. He's making yeah. calls. He's closing deals. He's, He's trading checks. stocks. He's holding GameStop, you know. Right writing checks well, and snapping necks. I guess it would have been babges at the time. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, getting in on the Electronics boutique. Boom. Right. Or ordering ordering several shares of pets.com. I'm sure this ah, can't yes, go yeah. wrong. No. Absolutely nothing can go wrong now. Also in nineteen ninety five, LDDS becomes LDDS WorldCom.
1: Still not a great name. Still not yeah. liking
0: it. Uh, yeah, they would come to regret this decision. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> in 1996, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 largely deregulates the telephone industry. And everything was fine afterwards, we swear. Yep. Um, this was perhaps the last deregulation of, like, the big industries in America. In the 1970s, Um, airlines and uh, railroads had been deregulated. Then in the 80s, like, motor carriers had been deregulated, which is to say mm-hmm. trucking. Um, And so finally, in 1996, they get to deregulating the telephone industry. And now Um, there's nothing left to deregulate. Indeed. In 1997, SBC, Southwestern Bell Corporation, purchases Pacific Telesis, one baby Bell buying another. Also, Bell Atlantic and Ninex merge um and also they, <laughs> mci and, 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 and they com. become
1: i wait, did, when, did, when did they rename themselves oh not till later never mind not Ignore till me. later <laughs> they they remain bell atlantic at this time <laughs> for now well um, when 1997. i was oh, um i was no i was in um let's see 1990 i very distinctly remember this i don't know why but i do because i've always been a nerd um i remember we moved in 1997 and our new house our demarcation box had the 9x logo on it mm I remember this very distinctly, very I don't know why. Carry on. Yeah. Um, well,
0: you'll notice in 1997, we're going to have yet a third merger here. Um, interesting that this all comes immediately after the Telecommunications Act of 1996 that deregulates the telephone industry. I hmm. wonder if those two things could be related.
1: Nah, can't be.
0: Because now MCI and WorldCom merge into MCI WorldCom, a company that would go on to become infamous for reasons that we will get. <laughs> and also produce just
1: so many television commercials.
0: Well, this was the thing is the advertising industry, the television advertising industry at this point was propped up largely by long distance and collect calling industry ads. It certainly was. I don't think Um, you can go more than like 10 minutes without seeing an ad for um, MCI, Sprint, or um,
1: Call um, ATT, the uh, uh, call ATT,
0: 1010220, and 1800COLLECT. I forget Uh, which one of them. Had carrot top. I know ten ten two twenty had. Um, God, what did they? They had a lot of. It was absurd. The famous actors they had in their ads.
1: It was the nineties. It was a different time. This is the. These are the commercials of my youth that turned me into the commercial hating person that I am today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm looking. Okay, why am I? What
0: in? I'm searching YouTube for 1010-220 10, 10, ads, uh-huh. and it's just showing me ads. It's just showing me videos from October 10th of last year.
1: Oh, well, I, I mean, that it, is... Well, no, that's not ISO. That's the wrong way around.
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, you know um, what? It's because I typed ten ten twenty twenty. Ah, um. <laughs> among the people who did ads for ten ten two twenty, 220 are you ready? I am. Alf. Alf beloved character alf christopher lloyd playing a taxi driver (laughs) george carlin
1: (laughs) french stewart this is this is also around the time that george carlin was the uh, narrator for thomas the tank engine right yeah Uh Uh uh-huh indeed um (laughs) christopher lloyd did several of these ads apparently
0: dennis Hmm. miller uh Hmm. hulk hogan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Terry Bradshaw and Doug Flutie. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh, Toby Keith. Uh, mm. I tell you what. At just a who's who of names from the 90s. All trying to Most Beloved. All trying to encourage you to use their service because uh, up to 20 minutes is only 99 cents. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Geez, where were we? Oh. 1998. 97, the end is 97. Yeah, yeah. Bell Atlantic and a British telephone company called Vodafone found a wireless company. Uh, what will it come to be called? Verizon Wireless.
1: I forgot that the wireless company came first. I Indeed, really did. it did. Welcome to Verizon Wireless. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again.
2: Announcement oh, four for that. switch four one dash four.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm very familiar with that message. <laughs> oh, I am too. I used to be on Verizon. I uh, I yeah. like it that they still include include the switch number. But yeah, I used to be on Verizon. I got that one. Indeed, a lot. I I don't know what they would ever do with it, but it's nice mm. that it's in there. I mean, there's a the sort of person who would like if they ever had to file a complaint. You know, hey, this call didn't go through, and it keeps breaking. Right, the yeah. sort of By person the way, the who would was.
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: am that sort of person. So you know. Indeed, yeah, yeah. getting
0: a post it real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, In 1999, Century Telephone is renamed CenturyTel and acquires several uh, of GTE's markets from GTE. This is Um, one of the times that my grandmother's pension checks changed labels. Indeed. Um, SBC, which had previously purchased Pactel, now purchases Ameritech. (laughs) And Sprint attempts to merge with
1: MCI Worldcom, but the merger is blocked. We'll every believe. so often they block these mergers just for fun. I think I don't yeah, think it's, it's, it's almost like they have, need something to do, you know, yeah. or they're just trying to keep yeah. them on their toes. Well, they've um, got two stamps, and if they don't use the rejected stamp every so often, the ink dries up. So
0: that is true. Yeah, in two thousand, Bell Atlantic acquires GTE and renames itself
1: Verizon. Mm. Verizon is a
0: portmanteau of Veritas and Horizon.
1: This is one of the earliest um stupid merger names.
0: Indeed. And for a time it is. also had one of the worst logos ever because it had like gradients in it, which is a no no. Yeah,
1: it was a it was an italic it was the letter it was the word Verizon in Helvetica Italic Bold, lower all lower yeah. case. And it had hmm. like the the lower portion of the Z stretched below the baseline and faded out into gradient. Yeah. Um this is also, incidentally, at a time when the predecessor company, 9 had one of the worst reputations ever. Like, people mm. in New York and New England who are, New York especially, um, which is a place where a lot of telephone calls happen, you may be aware, um, mm. had so many complaints about landline calls not going through. It, part of the reason that they did the rebranding was so that people didn't think about 9X and how much they were bad at making yeah. telephone calls. It, it, it turned <laughs> out that the uh um the whole
0: the whole divesting the bell system thing not great for for, for quality of service. Um, yeah it turns
1: it turns out the regional companies weren't super keen on spending money to maintain the network.
0: Yeah. Also very bad for bills because as we mentioned earlier mm. the whole the your bill was kept artificially low by, you know, long distance rates. Those went away yeah. and bills went up. And indeed, mm, they certainly in, did. In that in that video, I watched the the um, the anchor in the video interviewed the um, the the chairman of AT and T. And he said, you know, we've, we've heard promises that, you know, uh, with, you know, the increased competition, bills may decrease or whatever. Do you think that bills will, will decrease? And he says, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you couldn't get away with that sort of candor now. You'd have to like give a diplomatic answer. But yeah, he's just like, no, no way. Like that. He's literally, he literally said, like, that's not how this works. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, also in 2000, SBC and Bell South found Singular Wireless. Which would
1: eventually become the carrier that had the iPhone. Indeed. Kind of. Yes, briefly.
0: <laughs> in
1: 2001, Deutsche Telekom, the German the telephone German, company. After it got spun out from just being a branch of the Bundespost, of the German uh, post office. This yeah. is now now they're in, you know... In the late mm. 80s and early 90s the European Union um as it was sort of assembling itself decided that the thing to do to you know introduce some liberalism into the markets was um that During <clears> the <throat> 80s we absolutely loved doing privatization. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Liberalism. We loved doing it here too, don't get me wrong, but the um you know in the in the countries that would become the European Union their specific brand of it was to split, you know, your Say your rail network, for your, for example, or your telephone network, you split it into the company that does the infrastructure, which remains state-owned. But the company that actually provides the service over the infrastructure becomes a publicly held company so that other companies can come in and compete and rent space on the same infrastructure, mm-hmm. which is what happened with Deutsche Telekom. Yeah. And now Deutsche Telekom was, was frequently known as,
0: like, T-Com, you know, t com mm-hmm. and all that. Yes. Um, so – in 2001, they acquired VoiceStream Wireless and renamed it to, what else, T-Mobile. And gave it a fetching magenta paint job. Yeah, indeed. Um, in 2002, WorldCom collapses into bankruptcy after an- accounting fraud is unveiled. And a Wait, man named Bernard Ebers would go to jail for a time. Um, he passed away Wait, in really? February of 2020, indeed. <laughs> we actually send someone to jail for accounting fraud? Uh uh, yes, he was uh, sentenced to jail for 25 years. Um, huh. He was released in December 2019 due to ill health and
1: died in February 2020. Mm. I mean, I'm um, I'm a I'm an abolitionist. However, I'm just shocked that we actually took any punitive action. I know, right? Yeah, it's sort of remarkable. I
0: will note, he is uh, one of a category of Bernards who are known for manipulating the stock market and getting thrown in jail. Uh, you may also know of Bernard Madoff, uh, who would hmm. come to prominence in the 2008 financial crisis. Um, yes. You've got to wonder if we should just not let Bernards you know, be in charge of companies. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Um, it says here... Dubbed the Telecom Cowboy, Ebers often wore boots and blue jeans instead of the typical corporate uniform of suit and tie. He also lived on a farm and loved to drive a tractor.
1: I mean, same, but you know, the things you find on Wikipedia sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what biography of because all these, all these, you know, the the Wikipedia pages of corporate uh, people like this are usually just cribbed from some puff piece biography written in the uh, late nineties. So I, I, right. I can just picture the picture on the back of the. You know the book you buy at the airport about this guy. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Let me let me look
0: here. Um, this comes from an article in Salon from 1999. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> not, not too far off. Not too Bernie far off. Eber's a 19th century style tech tycoon? Question mark? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. Where were we? 2004, Singular acquires AT&T Wireless and immediately retires the AT&T Wireless brand name, uh, which will uh, no, they don't, remain, not 2007. remain dead for three years. <laughs> In 2005, SBC, the Baby Bell, purchases AT&T and renames itself AT&T. Mm. And so the AT&T of today is technically AT&T Incorporated, which is a different company um, from, from the American AT&T Telegraph and T- Telephone, yes. Founded in 18 18- 1885, which is a subsidiary, which is and it's still known as AT&T Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed it's a uh, mess. the internal structure of AT&T remains Byzantine but in different ways <laughs> than it used to. <laughs> it's it's just it's a different Escher painting. Indeed. Um. Also, in 2005, Sprint merges with Nextel. In what we haven't mentioned them yet, have we? They're just another regarded, um,
1: uh, one of the most failed mergers of all time. Yeah, it really <laughs> was. I, I forget. Um, we didn't mention it yet. Nextel was one of those um mobile uh cellular networks. Um, their big selling point, if you don't remember them, was um they had a push-to-talk function, worked like a walkie-talkie over the cell yeah. network. I didn't capture
0: that here, but Nextel was founded in 1987 as a company called Fleet Call, changed its name Ooh. to Nextel in 1993, operated uh, iDEN technology, which is basically combination of cellular telephony and push-to-talk walkie-talkie features. Um, the walkie-talkie thing, which was they called Direct Connect, did become important enough that other Cell companies started to emulate
1: the walkie-talkie. Yeah, Verizon feature. offered it for a little while,
0: but they did so in a way like the unique thing about Nextel's Direct Connect is that it was a completely different functionality from making a telephone call. Mm, um, yeah, but other 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 carriers like Verizon implemented it in such a way that you pressed a button and it basically dialed a telephone call really quickly. It was essentially the same underlying functionality.
1: Yeah, you were basically making a phone call, except the other end picked up automatically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to actually doing a separate network. Uh, the Nextel network was officially shut down
0: on tw- at 12.01 a.m. on June 30th, 2013. Spectrum is now used for LTE communications. Because all Spectrum is now used for
1: LTE. Indeed.
0: Um, we had Nextel. That was my, my first uh, real cell phone was a, a
1: Nextel telephone my um, dad had them from work but um would, they switched off them at some point my parents <laughs> <Bleak>. um, <laughs> my dad had one for work um until i forget why they switched but they switched to verizon at some point my first they, cell they were extremely
0: verizon. popular with with industry basically yeah yeah um yeah which is why sprint merged with them but then mm-hmm. sprint happened to merge with them at approximately the exact time that like Smartphone stopped mattering.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It turns out there's a thing called email, which um and text messages, which are both Indeed. a lot more convenient, it turns out. This is around the time that text
0: messaging starts really taking off. And I remember when yeah, you start to pay ten cents per message. Otherwise,
1: well, my parents certainly do recall my high school texting bills. Um <laughs> uh. this, but this is also around the time when um this is really the around two thousand five, two thousand six, the ascendancy of BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which absolutely! Be, you know, yeah. this is when you start seeing mobile data over the cell networks, and um, you know, mm-hmm. you used to pay extra to be able to get that, and maybe pay a little bit more for the special BlackBerry services. And it was, you know, was, of course, like everything else, it's just more ways to charge you more fees. But
0: and I would also this, say this is particularly when uh, a landline telephone service starts to decline precipitously, both in terms of usage and quality. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, in, uh, 2006, AT&T purchases Bell South, enlarging itself yet again, and acquiring mm-hmm. yet another baby Bell. Um, Sprint <laughs> spins off its landline operations into a company called Embark, and becomes and a cellular-only company.
1: <laughs> and my grandmother's pension checks changed their name again.
0: Uh, and Verizon purchased the remains of WorldCom and integrated them into its vast behemoth. Mm. Uh, in 2007 singular is rebranded to AT&T oh wait, sorry Virus. no sorry
1: i had a thing for this is when um um world cup if i recall correctly um the earlier you mentioned mci laying a whole lot of fiber a lot uh-huh. of the verizon fios infrastructure was originally laid by mci back in the 90s oh that makes sense why they sort of gave up on it after a while because it was probably yeah. when they ran out of fiber that they didn't lay and then they were like there, wait a minute we're gonna have to pay well, there's to two lay reasons more. they gave up there's two reasons they gave up one reason was they ran out of fiber that other people lay that they could buy the other reason is that they um Weasled their way out of agreements with specifically the state of New Jersey, but other New England states had them as well, or Northeast and New England states had them as well to um, provide fiber service across their states, um, mm. and received massive subsidies and uh, you know grants to do so, and then sort of did it halfway, and then didn't do the rest of it, and said, "We cover the area with uh, cellular data. That's good enough, right?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. not bitter. I swear. <laughs> um
0: by the way one one thing that we haven't mentioned here um the southern new england telephone company uh would be purchased in 1998 by sbc um, Mm -hmm. and become subsumed into new at&t
1: the um, only part of new england that
0: is not verizon indeed um and it would later
1: be sold off to frontier communications in 2014 which is ironic because Frontier later went on to buy some of Verizon's other wireline acquisitions. And then they went on to become bankrupt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which which they currently are. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: uh, and indeed, Frontier would also go on to buy uh, certain Fios areas from Verizon. Mm-hmm. In uh, Florida and the West Coast, yes. And uh, and Fort Wayne, Indiana,
1: and Portland, oh, really? Oregon. It says some very just very uh, choice locations.
0: You you get these uh, sometimes.
1: You get sort of random little bits of land that didn't get cleaned by anyone else. You do start to wonder if perhaps a single system is a good idea. They might have had it right all along. Who knows? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Two thousand seven singulars were branded to AT
1: and T Wireless, which we know it this as is, today. Yes. I had mentioned the iPhone earlier. Um, the original iPhone launch, like the announcement, not when it came up, when they first announced the iPhone, The um, they had an ex- exclusive deal with Singular. Um, yeah, AT&T between- tried to get the deal, but they failed, but then Singular got it. In the time between that, though, AT&T and Singular finally merged their operations despite having, you know, merged uh, corporately. That's not a word. Despite having... <laughs> fin- <laughs> You right. know, Despite having mer- finished the merger a few years ago, they never actually combined their yeah, they operations. They hadn't really integrated, they, yeah. They hadn't consolidated. That's the word I was looking for. They hadn't consolidated mm-hmm. until 2007. So in the space between Steve Jobs standing on the stage announcing the iPhone where it said singular, and when Steve Jobs could stand on the stage and announce when he could buy the iPhone, it now said AT&T. Mm-hmm. And AT&T soon realized how inadequate their mobile data network was for people who wanted to use it because mm. up until so now say you have <laughs> <laughs> well, so you certainly might but um, in large cities uh, a whole lot of people bought iPhones and started you know because up until this point if you were using the internet on a smartphone I had a Blackberry shortly after this time um, you know you were mostly downloading text emails things of that nature small mobile oriented <laughs> yes small mobile oriented websites um, the iPhone would download a full size desktop web page and Plenty of images and all the other stuff, and it went extremely poorly for them because mm. there was not enough capacity. Yeah, uh, which is why we're now all the way up to
0: five G in short term. Mm-hmm. It certainly um, is. Uh, in two thousand eight, CenturyTel purchases Embark and becomes CenturyLink. Another new
1: name for the pension checks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Verizon Wireless also acquired Alltel, a uh, fairly small uh, uh, cell carrier. In twenty ten, CenturyLink acquires Quest, which is what US West had renamed itself to sometime in the nineties or
1: whatever. Doesn't matter. One of those one of those nineties, you know, we gotta we gotta do a stupid merger name, it's required. Yeah. In two thousand they, they, oh, they would approve your merger unless you
0: have a stupid combo name. Indeed. In in two thousand eleven, t AT&T attempts to acquire T Mobile and is blocked. Um in twenty twelve, T Mobile Yeah, and 2012 T-Mobile acquires MetroPCS and turns it into like its value brand. Mm. Um, And then we come to uh, 2020. CenturyLink has renamed itself Lumen Technologies.
1: Which is hard to Google because Lumen is the name of a cryptocurrency.
0: It's also a very—it's a name that I make a dismissive gesture towards because it's just yeah, a very yeah. jack off name. Lumen—it's it's, jack off, like, and it's also like
1: it's so generic, like lumen. Like what and you're trying to it, it light? What, what does it mean? What is it? Yeah, what's it's, the a point? Very, it's a
0: very—it's a very try hard name. I it don't is, understand. It, it is. Um, T-Mobile acquires Sprint, and there are now three carriers. Or are mm-hmm. there? Uh, Dish My Network bad. founds Dish Wireless
1: and purchases from sprint boost mobile and ting boost mobile interestingly started out as sort of prepaid nextel originally
0: indeed it did um it turns out i, I was reading about this dish network with its dish wireless you know it's currently leasing service from from uh t-mobile, T-Mobile yeah formerly sprint um the sprint name has been officially retired at time of recording um Dish Network is planning to construct its own 5G network. They are. They certainly uh, are. They are they and, own you know spectrum.
1: They're going to build towers. You know what? I, you know, good luck to them. Yeah. You know? Uh, genuinely, I we yeah. need more competition in this space if we're not going to have a monopoly. So, uh
0: they aim have to cover
1: 70% luck. of Americans by the end of June
0: 2023. So, I don't know. We'll see. That could be interesting. It's been it's we true. haven't had a new entrant in a while. It's been all consolidation up to this No, point. because the
1: whole the story so far has been sort of AT&T, the old AT&T, reassembling itself into basically two companies.
0: Right. Yes, you have AT&T and Verizon. Those are yeah. the main ones. Yeah. Mhm. And which then is, there's also you know, like there just happens to be T-Mobile Sprint which survived because they were cellular, you know. Yeah.
1: And the other interesting thing with the um with the uh consolidation there is that AT&T has been relatively successful in branching out into, <clears throat> excuse me, um owning media. Literally um, every goddamn thing. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> uh, um, you know, they own Time Warner, which means they own CNN, HBO, uh, Cartoon Network. I think is that the one that they have. I think. Um, I think so. Yeah. I think that's. Was under- it Nickelodeon? It's either Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. Uh, one, yeah, of those. one of those. um they, you know, they own all manner of stuff, and Verizon has failed completely at every media purchase it has attempted to do. Indeed. Including, um, including new media. They owned Tumblr briefly because they bought Yahoo mm-hmm. and lost billions of dollars on it uh att
0: is currently described by wikipedia not as a communications company but as a multinational conglomerate holding company
1: <laughs> like old gulf and western which own uh, paramount
0: it is the world's largest telecommunications company largest provider of mobile telephone service large provider of fixed network services through att communications also the parent company of warner media making it the mm-hmm. world's largest media and entertainment company yep. um yeah, through Warner Media, it owns Warner Communications. Um let's see, Warner yeah, so Brothers, renamed, you know, all they renamed of. it Warner Media. What all do they own? Warner Media Studios and Networks, Warner Brothers Film, Television, and Animation Studios, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers Interactive, Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, DC. Yep. Cartoon Network Adult Swim Boomerang and Turner Classic Movies. HBO, mm-hmm. uh Cinemax, uh TBS, TNT, True TV. And a stake, a fifty percent stake in the CW, uh, Ah, CNN, Turner Sports, and AT&T Sportsnet, um, a digital media company called Otter Media, whatever the heck that is,
1: and HBO Max, (laughs) which has gone swimmingly for them. Um, And it's it's very interesting because the we've only said this word once so far in this recording. The other big telecommunications company in America is named, of course comcast and Mm. they did not start out as a phone company they started out as a cable television company Mm. they just happened to start offering telephone service and internet service once once cable internet started taking off and of course they own um nbc and universal but um Uh, very interesting how the other one came out one other thing that at&t purchased
0: direct tv yes right which was a thriving satellite television company when they bought it, and was is now not a thriving nuts. satellite television mm-hmm. company. Um, yeah. DirecTV also had a, a, um, a an over-the-top streaming service called DirecTV Now, which was renamed to AT&T TV Now,
1: and has gone <laughs> I think through approximately need... <laughs> 10 billion price hikes, and has well, lost literally billion... millions of customers. <laughs> Tell them 10 billion price hikes, and also I think we could probably do a separate episode just about the... What, four different streaming services that the AT&T conglomerate currently or has recently offered?
0: Um, Yes. Uh, So AT&T offers a service um, called AT&T TV. They also offer a service called AT&T TV Now. And they also offer a service called AT&T Watch TV these are all separate streaming television services now they have noted that um in fact this was january 13th they announced that they would stop selling at&t tv now and instead redirect new customers to at&t tv now now so now instead of having your at&t tv tv now now you will have at&t tv
1: now Yes, and you also have the option. Hence, to They describing. should maybe
0: say henceforth.
1: <laughs> perhaps yes, perhaps. Um, and there's also the HBO problem because it, um, actually I don't know. If, did they fix this finally? Because you used to have HBO, HBO Now, and HBO Go. One of I them was
0: those have been combined into HBO Max now. Okay, because you used
1: stop <laughs> yeah. saying now. Because um, you used to have <laughs> the situation where if you got HBO through your cable or television service and wanted to stream it on your ipad or whatever you had hbo go but if you wanted to pay for hbo without already having cable you could pay hbo HBO. go was sort of an
0: add-on to your existing hbo service whereas hbo now was like the hbo service through the internet i guess they provided the exact same
1: you know they were the same but they were separate apps (laughs) yeah um just a ludicrous situation i'm just looking here so
0: uh uh you know i think direct tv now started at like 35
1: dollars a month uh, right
0: right i just have to look at what it's up to now let me see uh
1: you're gonna hear a few keyboard noises from me because i am meanwhile gonna see yeah, what verizon here. has because they have done so poorly in <laughs> the, um the cheapest AT&T tv
0: package is now 70 dollars <throat> a month <laughs> <laughs> I think wow. we have covered this previously on our nor- on the normal podcast. The Yeah you have, yes. Um <laughs> the, the streaming television services have basically increased in price to the point where they are indistinguishable from cable TV at this point.
1: I can attest to this because I had um I had yeah. um YouTube TV for a while when it was thirty-five bucks a month and you got a decent number of channels. You got some, no enough longer. sports channels that it didn't matter. Um they yeah. they hiked the price to fifty bucks a month at some point, and I was still fine with it. They added a few channels, it was fine. Then they hike the price to 70 bucks a month, and in my apartment I get Comcast, and it was literally cheaper for me to get cable from Comcast for television instead of maintaining YouTube TV. Great yeah, this job. is
0: the thing. They they keep adding channels that no one mm-hmm. needs because YouTube Correct. TV is up to 85-plus channels now, which is more than you need. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's 65 a month, which is ridiculous. I think the only company that has retained their low price is the originator of this concept, Sling TV, which still offers a 35 per month. Uh, uh, package which has only like three channels so Mm -hmm. what you do is you pick from you either get sling blue which gets you uh amongst other networks the nfl network and fox news or you get sling orange which gets you espn and cnn um it should actually be sling blue should be sling red and sling orange should be sling blue to reflect their politics because that's basically the breakdown
1: fox news nfl on the one side espn cnn on the other (laughs) yes uh meanwhile at verizon um just a just a few brief hits here it's not as well organized as at&t's um Page is in terms of acquisitions and stuff. Um, however, uh, scrolling through, eh, I'll just have to go through it. So, um, on May twelfth, twenty fifteen, Verizon announced it would acquire AOL. You oh, may lovely. remember AOL as um, the company that uh, used to provide um, dial-up internet service mm-hmm. and so, America you know, <laughs>
0: Online. They they, um, they distributed millions of coasters free to Americans every year. <laughs> Some of these coasters could also be used to install the software. Yeah, I'm told that you could put them into a compact disc drive. I think that was meant to be an Easter egg. I'm not clear mm. on that. Oh no, no, some of them were even floppy disks. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I use them yeah. as like frisbees. Yeah, or stuck yeah, little rubber they... feet to them. Yeah, but they—they <laughs> they were literally. <laughs> I mean, you know, like now you would have like an instructable or a wiki how on how to do this, but there literally used to be articles on like what can you do with an AOL CD that isn't yeah. just throwing it they in the were, trash.
1: <laughs> I, I cannot emphasize how ubiquitous they were. Like, if you went to certain Literally grocery stores... Literally up to my ears. Oh, yeah. You'd get them in the mail. You could get them... Like, they'd hand them out at grocery stores if you spent enough money. They'd have them at bookstores just to grab some. You could not escape getting free AOLs. Yeah, they I mean, all we, have, like, you know, 50 them. hours or 70 hours free, something like that. We received um, them, and I'm not clear, you know, how... Like, I don't know. They must have literally just sent them to everyone. No. So as a brief, you know, this mentioning AOL is interesting because I forgot about this entirely for a long time until just now. AOL, in addition to dial-up service, you know, they had email. They had AOL Instant Messenger. They had some other online services. Um, they, eventually, they both MapQuest back before Google Maps was a going concern. Um, mm. They also merged with Time Warner in 2000. Oh, Interesting. And yeah, then demerged. I, That's right. Yes, they um, <laughs> AOL narrowly avoided becoming part of AT and T. They certainly did. Um, uh, you know, the, the combined company was named AOL Time Warner for a long time until um, yeah. Uh, when did they demerge? Eh, who cares? Then, it doesn't matter. So, so they then, had all these um, web, um, uh, uh, you know, brands going on, and um, they eventually got bought by Verizon. In addition to Yahoo, which had recently gone on a buying spree of owning Flickr, you may recall them, the photo sharing Mm, website, mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. bought Tumblr, the microblog website, which people really loved for a long time. Um, Until Yahoo bought them, roughly. Until Yahoo bought them and uh, (laughs) sort of started screwing the works up. I used to be a Tumblr user. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Verizon created a new division called Oath, which uh covered AOL and Yahoo. And I believe they also technically included Blue Jeans, the video conferencing service that they own. Indeed, Verizon um, still does own Blue Jeans. They yeah. still do own them. Um, <laughs> um the uh I'm trying to find it in the Wikipedia. They sold page off movie now. phone at this time. Oh, yeah they did. Uh where is because Oath, uh, went, Oath went really poorly for them. I remember this. Oath I, went really you know, poorly.
0: It has been renamed to just Verizon Media, uh, yes. which at this and point they also consists <laughs> largely of AOL, Autoblog, and Engadget. Oh, and
1: TechCrunch. Yeah. <laughs> TechCrunch, yes. Um, They no longer own Tumblr. They lost money selling Tumblr to Automatic, the company that produces WordPress. Yeah, which is remarkable <laughs> to me. It's just they, they lost... Um, Oh, they sold.
0: Verizon sold HuffPost to BuzzFeed in November. 2020. Oh, right, because
1: Yahoo owned, or no? Did was it AOL one of them? One of them owned Huffington Post. Yeah, I think AOL. Yeah, so it they, was AOL. Yeah, so, yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, they've divested so anyway.
0: <laughs> themselves of Flickr, Movie Phone, MapQuest, Tumblr, HuffPost, and then they've yes. closed AIM and Yahoo Messenger. Um, yep. Something called Alto Mail. And Go ninety, which was a very bizarre streaming.
1: Go ninety app was thing. Um, an attempt at sort of video streaming to your, f- like, oh, you know, on the internet or over your phone. Yeah, because, it was almost um,
0: like the pre Quibby.
1: <clears throat> yeah, kind it of. It was a pre Quibby. Actually,
0: okay, I'm reading it. It literally was the pre Quibby. The name Go ninety yeah, refers it to the practice of rotating a smartphone to landscape orientation to watch videos. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally, Um, wow, nothing new. I think a fair amount of, like, um, you know, like, uh, like improv students at, like, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in Los Angeles did make a decent amount of money from doing, like, really crappy shows on Go90. No, no Mm. shade
1: to the comedians who participated in that. Secure the bag. We always (laughs) always secure artists securing the bag. We always do. But it is, you know, it's unfortunate that it always happens on the stupidest startups.
0: Um also AO uh, uh Verizon continues to own and operate CompuServe. Wait, really? Yep.
1: Oh yeah, cuz AOL bought them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: huh <laughs> I haven't thought about CompuServe uh, in about like, Probably that. two decades. <laughs> yes, certainly. Yeah, you
0: can still go to compuserve.com and boy, boy does this website look straight out of about 2004. It's very simple, though, I have to Ooh, say this is wow. like a very uncluttered website. It doesn't this even try like to figure those... out where you are for whether you have to enter your zip code, yeah, wow. There is no conception here of a location request, and there's a big button for CompuServe mail amazing. Which
1: takes you to a o l uh <laughs> okay, yeah, because the um compuServe and uh, a o l purchased CompuServe at some point in the late nineties, but yeah. um this wow.
0: is this is remarkable. Um, this is
1: astonishing. Well, anyway, this we've gone yeah. very
0: off track here, but <laughs> we have, I also wanted to note Sling TV, owned by Dish Network. There are three mm. companies in the country, folks.
1: There are only three. <laughs> yes, and there are only what six in the rest of the world? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I
0: figure it's only a matter of time be- before Verizon buys Dish Network or something, like- or Nestle. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh my! Um, anyway, so it's 2021, where the heck are we, uh, with, like, telephone stuff anyway?
1: Well, rates went up. Well, now nobody cares, up. Is a thing about telephones.
0: Yeah, rates went way up, but then people stopped paying for them, so now they're even more expensive. I think, uh, uh, telephone service for me would be, like,
1: $20 a month, which is kind of a lot, in my opinion. I don't know how much it costs for me, honestly, because, like, I have, you know, I have the triple play bundle thing, so I don't actually know what percentage of the bill goes to operating the telephone. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of AT&T's
0: manufacturing plants were offshored or closed. Um, they first like handed Western Electric Telephone manufacturing stuff to ITT, which then became Cortelco, which still mm-hmm. exists but manufactures the phones in China instead of Kansas yes. like they used yeah. to.
1: And um, they still have the rights to the AT&T brand. You can still buy a brand new Trimline 202. I own one. You and it can, still has indeed. the at t logo on it, and the box even has the old Western Electric logo on it, and very small oh, printing in one corner. Um, yeah. D- probably, presumably, just to keep using that trademark so that they can... Almost certainly, you
0: know. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, basically all the Western Electric manufacturing plants in the U.S. are now closed, and probably like Greenfield or whatever at this
1: point. They're either they Greenfield been- or they've turned into lofts
0: yeah or they've been turned into like a power center with a target and you know yeah. uh yeah. A linens and things that is now out of business and has been replaced by something else mm. yeah like coals. right um at t eventually spun off bell labs which had been withering on the vine um bell labs was passed to lucent technologies uh again with the
1: light theme again. yeah which
0: was bought by a french telephone company called alcatel and um uh uh Became Alcatel Lucent, and then Alcatel Lucent sold it to Nokia, so it's now known as Nokia Bell Labs. Um, now, Bell Labs used to do a whole bunch of research, including yeah. like basic oh, sorry, research. Sorry, no, I, I was going to cut in
1: there and say the oh, interesting sure. thing is that Nokia, and I assume there's probably some Bell Labs involvement in there somewhere, because Nokia is now very involved in, well, aside from, actually, no, they don't make phones anymore. The Nokia that makes cell Indeed phones not. Yeah. is not the same company as the Actual Nokia company, um, they just license the brand name. But the Nokia, the actual Nokia, produces a lot of. Um, they're one of the main producers of five G equipment, aside from uh, Huawei. Indeed, uh, and I would
0: assume that that Bell Labs probably plays some role in that. Although you mm. know, I'm not. They clear still
1: do that. own the facility, the research facility in northern New Jersey, Murray Hill.
0: Indeed. Um, so, yeah, Bell Labs used to do a lot of basic research. Like, they did fundamental scientific research, material science, physics, semiconductor
1: research. And this um, is the thing that you used, that corporations used to be able to do. RCA, the Radio Corporation of America, um, used to spend a lot of money on, like, basic R&D research that didn't necessarily have anything to do with producing radios or TVs.
0: Right. But they understood that they sort of needed that basic research to then develop technology, you know mm. that they could market yeah. and that's what um, Bell Labs is doing
1: yes in uh, the except that that's um, from the 40s up until you know until the 80s really until 2008
0: 90s. yes um <laughs> uh, un- while under Alcatel Lucent in 2008 oh that
1: late i thought they'd stopped earlier huh.
0: indeed well at the time they only had one physics researcher still working there uh on, you know, <laughs> just one physics guy. research. they're waiting uh, for him to retire they, was that it i guess i don't know they announced in 2008 that they were um stopping basic research and focus only on quote more immediately marketable areas such as networking high-speed electronics wireless nanotechnology and software mm. um Basically, we've we've just sort of handed basic research entirely to academic institutions, Yes, Um, which I don't know, I guess that works. But like you
1: said, companies used to do this stuff. Now they like don't see the value in it. No, um, now they donate um time and or equi- or money and or equipment um to universities who are doing it. Yeah, and just say you do this. So Yes, and they get to put their name on buildings and things like that. And it's all right. Demo.
0: Yeah, Bell Labs was one of the last corporate R&D operations doing basic research. I am not aware of any other ones that do. Um
1: No, I'm not either. Yeah. I mean, the only I was about to say one, but I mean like you know, the government still does, but that's the government
0: right well in fact and i think the government is the largest producer of basic research like single single producer sure but between nasa and like you know things like oak ridge national National labs things like that Mm -hmm. yeah man then you have like the national institutes of health and things like that as well Um, which has been in the news lately i don't know why yeah weird um we have neither a fully national monopoly nor a fully regulated system we've ended up with the worst of both worlds we really have we have local monopolies, which are at best lightly regulated. So, the thing that they said when they <laughs> broke up the bell system was, we're going to introduce competition. Um, <laughs> but they
1: didn't because you could still only get phone service from one company. Sure, you may recall what we said earlier about how they um, made agreements with towns to sort of prevent duplication. Franchise agreements. Line. We still indeed. have that. It's just that most, you know, for vast majorities of the country, I mean, for one thing, it's Comcast that owns that monopoly now as opposed to it being some branch of what used to be and now is AT&T. But right. um, most people only have one provider of telecommunication services to their house. right? Yes. Now, this is diminished in importance as
0: things like cellular telephony have, have uh, emerged and cell phones – is basically the only place where there is like true competition in any sense in that all three networks span approximately the the same area of the US mm-hmm. um and are mo- fungible enough i would say that you could consider switching back and forth with you know occasional sure. exceptions um, you and, can you can
1: you can move your phone number between them. You know it's fine. And it your phone works. is highly
0: likely to be interoperable these days. You probably won't have to get a new phone. But even if you do, that's usually not a huge hindrance. Um, no. Yeah. So in a sense, we did achieve competition, but not by breaking up AT and T. No. <laughs> and indeed, we did achieve competition in fixed telephone service as well. But that came through things like VoIP. Uh, yeah, and, and the proliferation of VoIP services—you basically just call through your through your your internet connection now. Yeah, Either so you my, get it directly you know, from your internet company, or you just use a VoIP provider on top of your internet service. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and even like you know, if you have Comcast, and I, even Verizon now, if you they're bit a bit sorry. Um, when I lived in New Jersey, I had Lucky Verizon you know FiOS. Magic, Oh, God, I forgot about those. Um, When I lived in New Jersey, I had Fios to my apartment, and that was the only pipe going in. You only had the fiber line going in. And if you made a phone call, because I had phone service at the time as well, um, you know, the phone jack plugged into the fiber terminal, and it just got turned into a voice over IP signal. It was not an actual old-style telephone connection. This is true for... Vast majorities of connections nowadays from any ISP. Mm-hmm. It really yeah, is, you know. It's it's there's there is l- very little desire to continue maintaining the um, the, uh, the they call it POPS cop- plain old telephone service, the copper wire telephone service. Indeed,
0: uh, AT and T announced that it is no longer signing up customers for DSL, its internet service that relies on copper cabling.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Which
0: is interesting because it hasn't replaced DSL with anything else in no, many areas. No, they offer
1: fiber in some locations, but not all, because, again, they do uh, not wish to spend the money to lay new fiber.
0: A very, very small fraction of its service area, yeah. Very small, um, very small. It's utterly bizarre. Um, and the FCC, we let them get away with it because up until recently, the FCC was uh, run by a huge buffoon with an even larger mm-hmm. mug.
1: Yes, um, who also had even larger ties to the telecommunications industry
0: yes uh uh big fuck to that guy i don't mm-hmm. like him i'm not even no. gonna say his name uh, no but he
1: has blocked me on twitter because now he is no longer encumbered by his public service and can yeah, now wow, block good, people on twitter riddance. really truly
0: really is i hope you sip your giant mug in hell
1: <laughs> i hope it breaks
0: uh, <clears throat> digression here to discuss magic jack which yes. is very fascinating <laughs> Magic Jack a was a little USB thing. dongle uh, VoIP adapter you plugged it mm-hmm. into your computer and then you plugged your phone into the phone jack on it um, and this gave you telephone service um, over the internet over the internet
1: and it was uh, was it um, was it free in quote service or was it like it's no this is the thing they, what was the deal they got
0: in a lot of trouble and lawsuits because um, uh, well their terms of service
1: basically let them snoop on your calls. Oh, um, really? Yes, Was that the deal? Indeed. I never knew. Um, I've only ever seen the TV ads. And like, I, you know, you'd see the box sometimes. It's like I think Radio Shack sold them next to the cash register. Um, but yeah. I never really looked into it any further than that. <laughs> uh,
0: they would uh, they would be allowed to analyze your calls for the purpose of targeting advertising, and you agreed to Ugh. waive your right to sue in court. Um, uh, also, of course, arbitration. Also, a fair amount of pricing weirdness, and um, they were also known for making it very difficult to cancel the service. Um, you may <laughs> remember their ads, which went uh, approximately the following: "We now offer phone service for a dollar seventy a month. That's just nineteen ninety five a year with Magic Jack." So they didn't like, they didn't mention. <laughs> <laughs> the phone company until the very end of the ad. And they also didn't like imply that it was like a separate phone company from your, it was very, a very sort of misleading mm. ad. Uh, yes. and they did get uh, in trouble for it. Um, although, you know, they do still exist. Um, apparently huh. <laughs> as of November of 2019, consumer affairs have give, has given magic Jack a one star rating <laughs>
1: So, this is like learning that Blockbuster is technically still in the stock market.
0: Indeed, um, you can uh, purchase a Magic Jack home for thirty nine ninety nine plus taxes and fees. Includes twelve months of service. Connecting has never been easier. What if I switch to? Oh, that just a switch to Magic. I thought they had a different thing. Um, or you can download huh. an app for smartphones. So, Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know.
1: Does, uh, you plans. already have. I mean, I know people don't do this very often anymore, but most of the time, your 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 smartphone is still a telephone, mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as we wish it wasn't. Your active Magic
0: Jack Home includes a free Magic app download with unlimited texting and premium features unlocked.
1: There's no way that can't be sketchy.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, one year plan is is thirty nine dollars a month, um, and there's an asterisk pricing does mm, not include shipping and handling huh. taxes or other applicable fees um yeah also not clear to me how you cancel anyway um that was an interesting one there were many 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 voip companies that sprung up some, some less more notable than others, others. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um ones that Vonage remain is, Vonage is still around yeah Vonage just that's what i They're remember the, ads the from the most yeah. yeah um uma is another mm-hmm. one i think my, my dad still has uma for the home telephone um mm. Uma's whole thing is that it's like free except you just pay for like the regulatory fees they're required to charge you. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely certain how that works. They do offer a premium service which they constantly bug you to get but naturally, uh, naturally in theory you don't have to, you know. Yeah. Um, a
1: lot of, you know, the other I think one of the larger VoIP providers right now is Google Voice. Indeed, uh, and my
0: my telephone—I also have a model 2500—is connected to Google Voice via a little box.
1: <laughs> as is mine. <laughs> yeah. As is mine. Although mine my setup is a little more complicated, as you know. But uh, yeah, I've got a little box that uh, you know plugs into the internet, and uh, you can call it, and it makes mm-hmm. the phone ring. It's beautiful. So anyway, yeah. So you may be able to get phone
0: service <laughs> from your cable company or another void provider. In some places, you can get multiple internet providers. Um, in Such other places. In other places, differences between speed and quality
1: means that there is effectively no competition between them. If, if you live in a rural between... area or up in the mountains, you probably, you might get, you know, Verizon has the reputation right now at least of, and we're not paid by them, by the way, we hate them. Um, okay. Verizon has re- the reputation of working best in rural areas. Um, right. If you live up in the mountains when it comes to home and network connections, it's probably satellite internet in a lot of cases, which sucks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, well, I'll just give an example of
0: my situation, which is that I have um, AT&T is an internet provider that would offer me DSL uh, 70 megabits per second, um, or uh, uh, Spectrum, which offers me cable internet at a minimum of 200 all the way up to, like, 980 megabits per second. So uh, why I would pick AT&T, which
1: is, like, the same price... (laughs) <laughs> I don't even think I have a DSL option here because I mean I live, I live in an apartment, which often means that there is a, a contract that the ANISP will sign with the leasing office or the company that which manages is your apartment, um, which means I only fool have cool thing. Mm, yes, yeah, so not, more fullness. <laughs> um, which means I only have Comcast or um, Comcast. And the thing about you know we don't have time to get into the whole thing about this, but the thing about if you have cable internet. They're encoding the TCP/IP frames into MPEG-2 television frames. Yeah. This is not a joke. This is how cable internet works. They turn internet packets into television frames and then your and that cable that modem you. turns it back into IP packets. Yeah, we love it. It works. Great. <sighs> I don't <laughs> I don't want to get into it. It makes me angry. It's yeah.
0: Um, local monopolies have proven very profitable for telephone companies and also Internet companies. The telephone companies are basically Internet service providers at this point. Yeah, yeah. Not much to distinguish them. Um, very profitable because of the light regulation of rates and no restrictions on things like promotional pricing, where they give you it for, you know, $40 for the first year and then the next year it's $60 and then the next year it's, you know, $80. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a thing that's allowed for telephone service, but A-OK for internet. Um, Equipment pricing. Uh, Remember how you had to lease your own phone? You're Uh probably leasing your modem.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm paying for my own, but many people don't know that's an option.
0: Yeah, well, and um, certainly uh, the internet service providers don't make you aware of that option. No, they don't.
1: Um, Or data caps. This is a big one because Comcast had introduced data, data caps a couple years ago in certain parts of the country. Um, but as of January 2021, in the middle of a global pandemic where many people are either working from home, um, attending classes at home or both over the Internet, um, they're now rolling them out across their entire service area. I, um, what is, why
0: have they done that? They say it's because of network congestion or whatever, but actually it's for
1: revenue. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. Is not, there is not congestion at all. It's still working as... Like, there is so There's much that they have available.
0: Um, Comcast is also a big conglomerate uh, that is desperately trying to salvage some of the acquisitions that it made by making it up elsewhere. Hmm. You would think they would learn, but they don't.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I can't blame them that hard for suddenly not having movie revenue anymore now that movie theaters yeah, are closed. That's but, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Some of also these things buying, are buying a television
0: network when people are watching less television
1: than ever. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they could have seen that one coming, but yeah. Um, so that did it, cool. produce one of the greatest, um, one of the better storylines in Thirty Rock, though. So we do have that going forward. Right
0: now, what what um, uh, what would be the ideal here? Um, probably something like uh, you know a, a nationally owned backbone. Um, Certainly.
1: Um, I mentioned it briefly at the early, very but, least. <laughs> um, the federal government and many state governments um, handed out just buckets of cash to um, companies like Verizon and AT and T in the late '90s and early 2000s to build backbones and to build fiber networks because it was seen as the future. Um, and then they it, sort of it just remains the future. It, it does remain the future because <laughs> they sort of just. Didn't build as much as they were supposed to, and somehow oh, weaseled their way out of their legal obligations to do so.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Can't imagine how that happened. Yeah. Um, so, you know,
0: I, I would say like a commonly owned backbone, uh, basically, you know, a thing called local loop unbundling, right? Which is where yeah. you say, listen, um, you, you know, AT&T, you may own this, these wires or whatever, but you have to let other
1: companies sell services on it. It's probably the is, very bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, this is the one thing where the European-style neoliberalism split up of the infrastructure and the provider does work because you do have this in – well, I, I keep mentioning the EU, but this is also the case in South Korea and Japan and yeah. other countries where, you know, either the former national telecom monopoly or a large corporation – Builds and maintains the network. However, they have to provide open access to other companies who wish to provide service over it. So you might have a fiber line owned by, um, you know, either owned by um, the national infrastructure company or by some company, but um, or by a private company, I mean, but, you know, other companies are allowed to offer service. So you have five or six options of ISPs coming into your house. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the way this works in, in the UK is that there's a company called OpenReach, which is owned by BT, which is uh, what used to be British Telecom, the, the telecom mm-hmm. monopoly, um, but it's now just one of many. But OpenReach owns BT's network and maintains it and then is required to basically ensure access to that network from other providers. So you can get Internet access in the UK from a variety of different providers because it ultimately all comes down the same wire um mm-hmm. but it just depends who you're paying or whatever you might be paying bt you might be paying virgin uh you know whatever else another thing we love about open reach is that they have uh land rover defender vans oh they do yes
1: we, um, we, we, love, we love that we love that <laughs> this is the other thing um we didn't mention it but um at ts logo the one produced in the late 60s by Saul bass who did so many other great logos mm-hmm. the old at t logo or the bell system logo i should say more properly is a timeless classic and i adore it so much one of the greats yes it really um, is
0: it was used up until very recently mm-hmm. um by cincinnati bell which i think finally oh, yeah, yeah. moved on That's from correct. it uh, and was the last company still using the bell the bell logo can still be found in places um Basically, all old, the Bell telephones, sort of, yeah. Yeah, all the Baby Bells had the rights to it, so now, you know, AT&T mm-hmm. and Verizon have the rights to use it, and they will put um, it on payphones and stuff just to continue
1: using it. Yeah, you we know. should put the link to the... I mean, we should put a link to most of the videos in there, but we should especially put the link to the video that Sol Bass's design firm produced to present the logo ah, to yes. AT&T. It is <laughs> a... If you're into... Um, Design at all, even interested a little bit, and even just if you're not, if you're interested in how you know they used to do design, how they used to do presentations, it mm-hmm. is a fantastic, fantastic film to watch. It's Indeed. it's fun is the thing too. It's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and they do a and and they do a good job of presenting you know the rationale for designing the logo the way it is and some of the you know elements of the concepts because they're explaining graphic design to a bunch of executives basically who don't know anything about it so Mm -hmm. it's a great video i can't recommend it enough it's one of my favorites of all time (laughs) yeah yep yep. um so
0: i mean i feel like the ideal for me would just be to have like a national broadband network that just is required to provide universal service and you know is empowered with the ability to just lay a whole bunch of fiber and acquire fiber there's a lot of dark fiber out there which There's is fiber so that was laid in the 90s and 2000s and just isn't being used it's just in the ground somewhere mm, it's there you can use it it's there you um, could light it up and indeed this was actually part of the plan with google fiber uh when mm-hmm. that was founded was hey what if we uh you know start to use some of this dark fiber to provide our own internet service and indeed google fiber where it is available seems to be quite good uh, but in twenty sixteen yeah. they're like, Yeah, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna build any more And
1: I'm gonna in a rare case for me, I'm gonna defend Google a little bit on this one because the reason they stopped expanding the network the Google fiber networks is because they ran into so many issues with local municipalities about getting access to telephone poles and underground um you know um you know underground passageways for laying fiber. They had so much trouble with the local regulation side of things. That it just wasn't worth the money to them, and I Indeed. can't blame them too much on that one because um, what you know, a lot of those telephone poles are still owned by one or another branch of AT and T, and they yeah, were not either an electricity utility recently... or telephone utility. Yeah, yeah. it would be either mm-hmm. be owned by the electric company or by AT and T. And in, in AT and T's case, they were not super keen on letting another telecommunications firm have access to space on those poles. It actually went to court in, I believe, Texas was where this was. Um, there was
0: yeah. A... Well, yeah, all over Tennessee, yeah. uh, Kentucky as well, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so Google had been pushing for a standard called One Touch Make Ready that basically says, like, um, look, our Google Fiber construction crew is going to come up and put the wires on, and if they have to move your wires around, they will just go ahead and do that at that time. Uh, and AT&T was like, no, no. Um, We forbid this, you know, we're going to fight against this being allowed Um, because the standard at the moment is uh, for make ready work, as they call it. Um, You can attach a wire, but if the existing attachments have to be moved around, the company that owns that other wire has to do that work. And there's
1: very, very infrequently is there an obligation for them to do this with any haste whatsoever. Indeed, AT&T
0: is using its sort of previous tactics of basically freezing out competitors by just like, you know, not doing the work or taking forever to do it and, you know, basically icing out Google Fiber in this case. Um, may, under federal guidelines, make ready work must occur sequentially, meaning that attachments can only be moved in the order in which they were originally placed on the line. This process can create <laughs> massive delays, as well as large disruptions in higher traffic areas, such as along major roadways, it can take months or even years to complete as every company involved must send out their own approved contractor to move only their respective <laughs> attachment. What a mess. Uh, so Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of governments, basically local governments passed rules that said like, yeah, no, you can just have a single construction crew do this. And of course, like AT&T thing is like, you're going to mess up our network as if they care at this point. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so, you know, that didn't really work out for them. AT&T also, or, or Google Fiber, rather, I think in Louisville, tried this thing. Yes, Louisville. They tried this thing in Louisville called micro-trenching, which is like, oh, right. what if we don't dig really deep to put the fiber? What if we just like dig a hole along asphalt and then put asphalt on top of the fiber? <laughs>
1: um, it now, turns out
0: that this was a terribly <laughs> bad idea. <laughs>
1: now, the thing of it is, I work in IT, as I believe I mentioned on the last pop-off episode, and uh, there's a running joke in the networking industry about the North American fiber-seeking backhoe yes Um, indeed it's Um, well known that if you have buried fiber anywhere a backhoe will eventually start digging and either because they didn't call 811 or it was improperly marked on the site diagram the backhoe will strike the fiber and take out a network now sometimes it's a small network sometimes it's most of the east coast
0: also when you're literally digging like a 3-inch trench into asphalt and then covering up with more asphalt you are not deep enough to avoid potholes and so no, the fiber not. the fiber in the case of Louisville the fiber would just like emerge from the asphalt and then just be like lying on the ground and mm. that was a problem.
1: Um, it's fairly delicate. Like it's it usually is in a rubber sheath, but it's fairly delicate. You can snip most fiber with a pair of scissors, just household scissors. Yeah.
0: Uh, Google Fiber withdrew from Louisville, Kentucky on April 15th, 2019, and paid $3.8 million to basically clean up uh, the mess that it had made. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, apparently they have not um, done any expansion and put all expansion plans on hold since October 2016. The only other, like, company doing it right that I can think of is Sonic.net.
1: Mm. which is well there's two ISD. things there. there's, there's sonic.net which is doing it but there's also a few places and again they are often running into these exclusivity contracts but there are municipalities that are setting up their own oh, fiber that's network. right yes mm-hmm. um where chattanooga tennessee i think is one of the yeah, more notable yeah. examples mm-hmm. they um, have a city-wide fiber network it's fast it's you know it's affordable enough it's it's i, I believe it's cheaper than um whatever the local one is and you get good speeds and it's right. it's not run by a massive multinational corporation so you get you know better service in terms of customer service and and I will say municipal
0: broadband makes a lot of sense you know usually the cities are already maintaining like piping or whatever so they have all these all these underground they already have things. underground
1: utilities and the tools to maintain them. They so. can
0: they can run the fiber, and then they just have to connect to, like, a backbone somewhere, you know, which mm-hmm. is probably in the city anyway. It's not very hard.
1: i I've no, actually there's read a lot of fiber running around, so.
0: I read an article yeah. in Ars Technica a couple weeks ago about a guy actually here near me in— um, uh, Oh, I read um, this. Yeah. Yeah, near Ann Arbor. Just a guy who has um, installed fiber to, like, a bunch of homes because he couldn't get good— um uh, uh uh internet service he basically yeah, it's very... <laughs> interconnected <laughs> it's... with with like an at&t fiber nearby and then is like just using a bunch of like unify
1: gear to mm-hmm. run
0: his own isp
1: <laughs> you hear about it, you hear about this every so often where if you live just like you know maybe 100 meters down the road from where your the local Monopoly ISP stopped laying cable or fiber. Mm-hmm. And they want like twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 to dig the fiber the rest of the way to your house. Right. You hear about this every so often. So it's, it's one of those cases, except this guy, you know, found out he could get a business connection fairly cheaply, comparatively, and buy some equipment and run your own.
0: Yeah, he You uh, love to see uh, it, you really uh, Sio Township, which is next to Ann Arbor. He he runs this little company which is called Washtenaw uh Fiber, that's the county name. Um hmm. yeah, at one point he contacted Comcast which told him it would charge fifty thousand dollars to extend its <laughs> cable network to his house. He mm-hmm. was
1: willing to pay ten thousand. <laughs> Which, to me, is still a lot of money. But in the in the in the realm of things that that cost money on houses, isn't that much? I guess.
0: AT and T offered him DSL about five years ago. It topped out at one point five megabits per second, and of course, AT and T has now stopped offering DSL to new customers. So he sort of was sort of out of options. Um, so instead, uh, he's installed five miles of fiber. Um and has connected thirty homes with plans to wire up ten more homes, um and yeah so he interconnects with um I think an AT and T fiber um mm, yeah and it was, then yeah. literally has like the routing equipment in his basement. He charges sixty five dollars a month for fifty megabit per second service symmetrical, um seventy five for two fifty ninety nine for five hundred megabits per second. Um, and then an uh, installation fee of up to $600, depending on how far you are from the road. Uh, really this bad. is literally a an, an dude, one dude. One, one <laughs> solitary person. And he said he he's spent um, getting this whole thing bootstrapped $145,000, uh, of which 95000 went to the contractor that installed it, uh, the fiber conduits that he uses, which are six feet underground. <laughs>
1: yes which is the correct Um, amount of feet underground remarkable
0: makes me think that maybe we should like do some sort of mutual aid you know co-op
1: system yeah (laughs) well there's also um i haven't heard about in a while a little while but there used to be and i believe still is a wireless based community isp operating in brooklyn
0: yes um um, wireless isps are becoming somewhat common um reliability yeah, is not depends. as great depends no. hi, hi, highly on the technology that they use Sprint and the was trying to get into this market with YMax, but that did not pan out um,
1: <laughs> oh do you remember the first like well, only i guess they were like two YMax phones that came out right around when the other carriers were launching 4g indeed
0: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the most WiMAX devices you could buy most frequently were the little modems like, um, you know, uh, MiFi things that used WiMAX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The first WiMAX-enabled phone was HTC's Max 4G and then the Evo 4G.
1: Oh, right. They called it 4G, didn't they?
0: Yeah, they did call it 4G. And it is indeed a fourth-generation technology. It's just not... uh, Not that one. Not that one, indeed. Yeah. Uh, that would go on to be a reason why Sprint would get acquired by T-Mobile is because they really boofed that one up and it set yeah. them back many they, years. Uh, they they
1: backed the wrong uh, horse They there spent a lot kind of
0: money on the wrong equipment and then had to go spend even more money on the right
1: equipment. Kind of like that time when you could buy an HD DVD drive for your Xbox 360. Ah, uh, yeah. And yeah. then the Xbox One supported Blu-ray. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, weird. The first
1: time Sony won a format of war. The first time. Anyway, uh, to it finish might not this actually out, be, But I, I want is. to talk
0: about Bell Labs and, and the cool Oh, I love they, Bell Labs. I love Bell
1: Labs so much.
0: Um, Bell Labs invented the transistor
1: very neat. The entire reason we have, well, originally solid state electronics, <laughs> but you know, that can fit in the palm of your hand and don't function as a hand warmer. Um, if you if you've never operated a an old electronic device that used a vacuum tube instead of a solid state uh, transistor. The Fallout system. future. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's what you see in Fallout, those glowing things that look a little bit like weak light bulbs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are used for doing electronics, for doing, you know, electronic logic. Very poorly. Um, very <laughs> <And> poorly, <slowly. laughs> with very slowly, with a lot of heat and a lot of power consumption, because most of the electricity consumed gets thrown off of it as heat or light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the invention of the transistor, which um, the Bell Labs facility, I believe the one in Holmdel, has a... Um, if I got called correctly... yeah, it is, because I used to drive by it. Um, they have a water tower there shaped like an early transistor indeed um yeah. which because it was that important to everything and it really has been um you know the entire reason we have any of what we'd call modern convenience i suppose modern electronics depend mm. on them having developed this way to use uh you know basically molten sand to do logic instead of using uh, uh vacuum tubes
0: Uh yes, so uh, you know, continuing, they they did a lot of computer research, and indeed, uh, Unix Mm. was created.
1: Unix, which uh, you may know as, um, well, you may not know, but um, Unix is the operating system from which all, from which most of the modern operating systems have been developed. If you have an uh, iPhone, it's running a variant of Unix. If you have a Mac, if you're running a Mac,
0: even if you're running a Windows computer, uh, Windows, you know is not unix based but borrows quite a lot of concepts it certainly from does. Unix.
1: and you could do an entire you could do like you could probably do like a series and you'd have to get all the details in about certainly. the history of unix just in terms of the development not even if you wanted to get into the corporate history because you may recall all of the um earlier mentions about the requirements for sharing patents mm-hmm. um That really, really, really affected the development of Unix. And it's one of the reasons that a young computer scientist in Finland named Linus Torvalds developed a clone of Unix that was compatible with Unix, but it was not, um, you know, it was an open source rewrite so that it was not using any copyrighted code and it's called Linux. You might have heard of it. It's very important nowadays. It runs every server. It basically, every web server runs Linux, yes.
0: Now, if you have an operating system, you need to write programs for it. What do you do that in? You do that in C, the C programming language, also created at Bell Labs. Hmm. Um, also, the laser invented at yep. Bell Labs, kind of an important tool. Photovoltaic cells, i.e. solar panels, or, you know, the units that make up solar panels. Um, CCD image sensors, the first way of capturing an image electronically.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Information theory in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when we say basic science, I mean, they are like doing the sort of thing you'd expect to hear about at a long-winded and incomprehensible university lecture. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is all stuff that is important to me as an electrical engineer, basically. Yes, yeah. Um, information theory, um, hamming coding, which is uh, one of the first error-correcting codes mm-hmm. um, for uh, information transmission. Modern cryptography, um, eventually leading to you know where we have end-to-end encryption and things like iMessage these days. Um, the technology of microwave relays was invented at Bell Labs.
1: And used <laughs> Hoisted by one's by own batai. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Quite all, as literally as possible, Bell Labs invented it and they had to share the patents because of the earlier agreements. And then MCI came along and said, hmm, we could use this for phone service. Right. Um, uh,
0: MOSFETs, which are an evolution of transistors, uh, which are probably the most common type in use today um in in electronics um typically the transistors that are in cpus are mm. metal uh, uh metal oxide semiconductor field effect transistors um, i'm
1: glad someone knows what that stands for because i don't yeah
0: electret microphones which are a kind of uh a microphone um that are very compact um and basically uh helped greatly increase um uh the the uh ability basically you can put a, a microphone in something now and you don't need uh a polarized power supply you need a you don't need as as much of a power supply um so like you know electret microphones made their way into all sorts of different things um if you've ever used a lavalier microphone that's usually mm. a little electret microphone um The microphones and things like cell phones are not electrets. They're usually other things, um, even smaller, but, you know, same concept, same, um, you know, principles, I guess, basically. Another thing invented at Bell Labs is a thing called OFDM, Orthogonal Frequency Division Multiplexing, which you've never heard of, but it's what makes Wi-Fi work and also (laughs) LTE um, and DSL and 5G all works because of this it's basically a multiplexing scheme that allows multiple users to share uh a part of a channel or frequency um optical fiber was invented Again, at bell labs <laughs> <laughs> um, tdma and cdma some of the foundational technologies for cellular networks were invented at bell labs um, and then bell labs was known for its um its technical journal the bell system technical journal which was considered one of the um, more prestigious um you know scientific journals in terms of um you know publishing their research and they did publish their research you know yes, freely and openly um mm-hmm. i forget how many um uh, um you know volumes there were uh let's see here what a just an absolute ton uh oh, yeah I, and... <laughs> think I Triple E publishes it now Yes, um, yes it's it under is. a different name but yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and the interesting thing is uh, some some more petard hoistery um the um the, they they, were, they also published some of the um details in the of the uh you know the Western electric patents and technologies that they had to share also got published in technical journals and this became a bit of an issue in the Mid-19s, early to mid-1970s when phone freaking with a PH started to become uh, a thing. Yes. Because mm-hmm. you could go to a university library and find out how to build a you know a touchtone telephone system that a, a device would generate the tones that were used to dial phones. And also at the time, if you were making a long-distance call, the internal workings of the bell system were done with in-band signaling. You would hear the sounds of the various systems talking to each other as your call was routed um Mm -hmm. which meant that you which also meant that if you were had a device that could make those sounds yourself um you could convince the the uh, telephone system to for example place long distance calls without being charged for them and things of that nature it wasn't you know they lost some money on this they didn't lose that much money on it. it was but it was a very major concern for them there were several lawsuits against phone freakers at the time, and uh, one of the people who was producing these devices was uh, Steve Wozniak, who later went on to be a major part of Apple. Indeed.
0: Um, and yeah, so overall, the, the Bell Bell Labs uh, produced um, nine Nobel Prizes and uh, four Turing Awards. Which is a lot. Yeah, which is also a lot. <laughs> I think that might be the most Nobel Prizes for a single institution.
1: I... I think you're right. I haven't looked, yeah. but I think you're right. That sounds right.
0: Um, by the way, uh, AT&T did get into the computer industry uh, with they its did. subsidiary AT&T Information Systems. Um, they produced which, some workstations. They produced some mainframes. Yes, they, they produced some computers, and um, it, uh, yeah, obviously did not work
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> no, by the uh, time they got into it, the market was extremely saturated already yeah um i'm trying to look here to see
0: what happened to uh their computer division um
1: that's a good question because i know like they had some you know they had some uh information system yeah i don't know yeah yeah,
0: i guess it was literally not notable enough to even be chronicled on wikipedia
1: yeah i mean they had some uh what was oh Oh, this is what happened. Um, Mm. uh, The uh, computer division got merged with NCR, the National Cash Register Corporation. Oh, oh, that's right. (laughs) um, Which uh, was also attempting to get into computers at the time and kind of did, but really only in the banking industry. Mm -hmm. Um, They also produced ATMs at the time, and they still do. Indeed they do. Uh, And they still produce cash registers too, I think. Uh, do they? Oh, so they so. do. Yes, they do. Yeah. No, no, because oh, they, make, right. um, yes. they, they uh, make self-serve uh, kiosks, too. Actually, also, real-time correction. Uh, mm. They, AT&T bought NCR in 1991. Mm. But they spun it off in 1997 as <laughs> part of the Lucent spinoff when they spun off their labs into Lucent. Yeah, we didn't go into so, that. <laughs> no, no, that was a mess. And it also features, um, is it, it's not, is it, Fior- is it Fiorina or Whitman? Which one?
0: Oh. It's one of
1: them. Uh, a well, woman who has recently run unsuccessfully for president as a oh, Republican. Oh, I think Fiorina is the one. Carly I mean, Fiorina, who, yeah. <laughs> which is even funnier. Okay, so, oh, well, actually, okay, here's the thing. So you had Carly Fiorina, who was, in, was uh, CEO of Lucent Technologies after it was spun off from AT&T, um, during which time they encountered severe financial struggles and nearly went bankrupt. Um, Carly Fiorina went on to be part of the executive team at Hewlett Packard Corporation um, around the time when they were managing the acquisition of Compaq and encountered severe financial difficulties in the process. Mm. you may be noticing a pattern here um, she later ran for president as a Republican, failed, dropped out and endorsed Ted Cruz and was selected as his VP pick and then I think approximately two weeks later he dropped out Mm-hmm. was that right? yes, yeah. uh, it was It was a very short time frame yes, it was a very short time frame uh, um, I April 27th was, was to- 2016,
0: Cruz announced that he would choose Fiorina as his vice presidential running mate uh However, he dropped out, um, so April 27th, Uh, he dropped out on
1: May 3rd. Um, after (laughs) Carly, (laughs) yes, after Carly Fiorina, um, stopped being uh, a member of Hewlett Packard's executive team, um, they brought in an executive from eBay named Meg Whitman, who ran HP for a little while, most notably while they were in the process of splitting, up between Hewlett Packard and Hewlett Packard Enterprise, um, Meg Whitman. Meg, excuse me, Meg Whitman. I almost did your bit there. I almost did a spoonerism. Uh, mm, like Meg Mitman. Whitman went on to become CEO of Quibi.
0: Yeah, another smashing success. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: She also owns a minority stake in Cincinnati's uh, soccer team, apparently. Oh, really? Which annoys huh. me to have learned. <laughs> that is annoying. Uh, That's extremely uh, annoying. Dear. Yeah. <laughs> Um. yeah no it's the same people it's the same companies that's, it's that's always the, the conclusion th- there are only three companies episode. and ten people <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> uh, anyway um, I hope you enjoyed that that trip through through history and time and mm. telephones uh, yes perhaps someday it will get better
1: maybe maybe
0: probably not though
2: I have no idea what I'm doing I was not prepared for this I'm trying and I'm learning Thank you for your patience There's so many mistakes I have already made But I'm working to be better day by day And I think I'm gonna make it But for now I'll say I have no idea what I'm doing I have no idea what I'm doing